on air right now for Fan for Racing Radio. This is Thursday night, May the 18th, and we've got a big show planned for everyone here tonight. We're talking about the All-Star NASCAR Weekend Preview along with our Hot Topic Sound Off. Now, in our first half hour, we are going to start with some short track news, and then after that, we will do the preview for the ARCA East Race at Flat Rock Speedway, and we'll also give you some Arca Menards and Arca West Series updates. In our next half hour, we have a guest tonight, and uh, I'm really honored to have Billy Venturini, team owner of Venturini Motorsports, uh, joining us tonight. He's going to drive the number 20 uh, Venturini Motorsports uh, uh, Toyota at uh, Flat Rock Speedway this weekend. So uh, really looking forward to a conversation with Billy Venturini. Afterward, we are going to preview the NASCAR Truck Series race at North Wilkesboro Speedway. And in our third half hour, we're going to update the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And afterward, we'll preview the NASCAR Cup Series, the Showdown, and the All-Star Races, both at North Wilkesboro this weekend. Uh, And uh, this is a historic weekend with the return to North Wilkesboro Speedway. Then stay tuned for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. That will begin at our fourth half hour at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time tonight. And uh, we'll have our Fan for Racing crew on board uh, to talk about those hot topics. Joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. Man, you have said a mouthful already. Very historic weekend when it comes to uh, North Wilkesboro. The honor of having Mr. Venturini on here with us. I know he always provides uh, drivers for us, but he is the driver this weekend, so uh, (laughs) got to be on here himself. Exactly. After 17 years, he's coming back behind the wheel of the number 20 for Venturini Motorsports. So, again, we're really looking forward to that conversation. But let's go ahead and get started uh, with some of our uh, dirt and short track news. I know I, I sent you some information here um, with regard to that. Um, okay. So we've got uh, – why don't you go ahead and get started, because I'm just now seeing your email, which I'm going to have to do while I'm on air, or your note here. All right. Well, we'll start with uh, Anthony Macri, and he took the Gettysburg Clash with a pass on the final corner, and that's covered by Alex Neaton, sorry, Alex Neaton at the worldoutlaws.com, and Brad Sweet followed that up with a World Outlaws win at Williams Grove Speedway. Uh, also covered by Alex Newton of worldoutlaw.com. Unfortunately, Mother Nature was the ultimate winner of the weekend there as raining out the rest of the festivities. And if Sharon, you're oh, still working on that. Yeah, I'd because keep, I'm still working on that, yeah. Thank okay. you. Uh, Tyler Courtney kicked off the All-Star Circuit of Champions weekend there with a dominant win at Wilmont Raceway. That was covered by Tyler Atmeyer at allstarsprint.com. And then he also covered Hunter Schurenberg. He followed that up with a victory at Jacksonville Speedway. Moving over to Lucas Oil or LucasDirt.com for the Lucas Oil Late Model Series. There it was Bobby Pierce who picked up a victory at Fairbury Speedway. 
And after nine years, or maybe that was supposed to be five, after nearly five years away, Holly Shelton returning to the USAC Midget Action this summer, and that can be found on USAC Media. USAC has hired a longtime announcer, Dr. Pat Sullivan, as a special projects and media consultant, and that's covered by Richard Murray on USAC Media. Then we get into, and then we'll cover more of this from some other sites, but the uh, short track scene covering North Wilkesboro, there were 80 combined entries that filled up the Cars Tour entry list for North Wilkesboro Speedway this week. And then the ASA Stars National Tour had a similarly strong 55 car entry for its portion of the week's festivity. And that's covered by Matt Weaver. And also check out the NASCAR Pinty Series as that'll be uh, back as well. And Matt Weaver takes a look at what makes that so special. Let's see if I got that email yet from Sharon. Yeah, I'm still working. Okay. Well, okay. I'm going to move over then to uh, that's what we got covered for the dirt, dirt track news there. Moving over to starting with Racing America, uh, a lot of good information there on what happened this week at North Wilkesboro already. Uh, scroll down here through some of the headlines. I know Bubba Pollard picked up one of the victories over William Byron and Chase Elliott. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting to uh, to see in the final results. A lot of big names uh, involved in these races. Uh, some of them did pretty good. Some of them uh, struggled a little bit. But Bubba Pollard uh, stepped up and took the victory there for the main event. Scroll down. Okay, where are you at now? That article back. I moved over to Racing America. I was covering uh, Bubba Pollard's victory. Nice uh, screen reset on me here. Yeah, let me see if I can find it. Uh, Racing America, under the news column, they have um, Bubba Pollard holds off William Byron for the ASA Stars National Tour win at North Wilkesboro. As you know, uh, there was a lot of racing that's already taking place at uh, North Wilkesboro ahead of the Truck Series race and the uh, Cup Series uh, truck and cup series races that are taking place this weekend. So, yeah, uh, Pollard was able to manage his gap over a hard-charging William Byron in the race's closing laps as the pair encountered a substantial herd of lap traffic. That's always a problem, isn't it, when you're coming to the finish line? you gotta get, you got to navigate around the uh, lap traffic. So... It was a big win for Bubba Pollard, for sure. Well, and, and to get that victory over, I mentioned there, uh, William Byron and Chase Elliott, two of the best-finishing uh, cup stars um, that were involved in it. But there were several others scattered throughout the field. Uh, I think Ross Chastain, Daniel Suarez were in two or three of those races. Dale Jr. and Suarez had some nose damage, I guess, took them uh, back a little bit as far as their finishing position. Remember the notes that I had sent to you about dirt and short tracks? 
What's that? Did you cover the notes that I already sent to you for jerk and short tracks? Oh, yeah, I had gone through all of those. Okay. Okay. So, okay, so let's go ahead and move on now then to Flow Racing because there's a lot of news over there too. Some of this is duplicated between the two websites, uh, including actually three websites if you include Short Track Scene. But there is an article over here. Uh, about Kyle Larson finding greater satisfaction in high-limit win at Wayne County. And there's a picture of him with his uh, two little girls, and it's it's really amazing uh, that he's able to um, utilize this time with his family and make them a part of uh, all the success that he has in racing. And that was his first victory in that high-limit sprint car series, so... Uh, as you said, uh, historic making with that, the family time, uh, again, dirt track, a little less uh, sponsored commitments, if you will. So a lot more time to spend with the family, like you said. And then if you want to get the results of the Cars Tour and the ASA results from North Wilkesboro Speedway, they do have that posted over at Flow Racing. So you can get the complete uh, results from both of those races right there. And there were a couple of the super late models, dirt track super late model series that were covered here on Flow Racing. Uh, Hudson O'Neill, the New Deal, dazzled again, winning the Castro Series at Marshalltown, as well as Brandon Shepard, B-Shep. He charged to the Lucas Oil late model win at Farmer City Raceway. Both of those are covered here on Flow Racing. Okay. Uh and, and I want to go ahead and move over to short track scene. Uh, Matt Weaver writes a lot of the articles over where over there. He's got a commentary. Wilkes takes uh, takeaways. Uh, this another takeaways from the ASA Stars and Car Touring racing together on Wednesday at uh, North Wilkesboro. And uh, Matt is always good uh, with his takeaways and with his insight into short track uh, racing. Uh, you had Dale Earnhardt racing in those races. Uh, a, a lot of big names were in those races, and it brought a lot of attention uh, to the short track racing at uh, North Wilkesboro. As, as if the track wouldn't by itself, but you're right. Uh, a lot of different yeah. <laughs> uh, names involved with it. Like I said, I thought it was interesting to see, although they ran good, it was your local regular short track drivers that picked up victories to include already talked about uh, Bubba Pollard, Augie Grill picked up one as well as Butterbean. So it was, it was exciting. And I'm sure everybody that was there would tell you just how exciting it was. Um, so there's a lot of uh, really good articles over there. Uh, also, we mentioned this Monday, I'm going to mention it again, the SRL National moves Bigley Memorial to Freedom Factory. So uh, that's kind of big news, too, when it comes to the SRL National Series. So I'd really encourage everybody to take a look at that article as well. Well, okay. most certainly. And you, mentioned, you mentioned people being there. Hopefully when Mike gets back, we get to hear from him, as that's where he was headed this weekend. 
That's right. Our very own Michael Orzel is at North Wilkesboro Speedway. He's there for the Truck Series race as well as the uh, uh, Cup Series race, the All-Star race as well as the Showdown race. And uh, I can't wait to hear his thoughts about the racing out at North Wilkesboro Speedway. As soon as it was announced, he knew he had to be there. So uh, I know this was a special trip for Mike Orzel. Okay, let's go ahead and move over to uh, our preview for the Arkham Menards Series East. They are going to be racing out at Flat Rock Speedway this weekend, and um, this is going to be another one of those big races uh, because it's been a while since they raced at Flat Rock Speedway. Uh, For the first time in Arkham Menard Series East history, however, the tour heads to Michigan's Flat Rock Speedway this Saturday, May the 20th, for the running of the Dutch Boy 150. Now, this race um, will take place again Saturday, May the 20th at 7.50 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be available via live streaming at Flow Racing. And then ARCA Racing will also have radio coverage available. This is a quarter-mile paved oval, and they will be racing 150 laps. Saturday, May 13th, they have final practice from 3.30 to 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The general tire pole qualifying, which is single car qualifying, will start at 5.10 p.m. Eastern Time. And then the Dutch Boy 150, they'll race 150 laps to cover 37.5 miles starting at 7.50 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, there's a lot to look out for at this race, right, Jay? There certainly is, and you mentioned the history of it, and uh, I'm sure that's part of the reason uh, Billy Venturini has opted to compete in it, and we'll hear from him coming up here in about 15 uh, minutes, I believe. So we'll get a little feedback on that as to what the history of that track means to the Arkham Menard series. Yes, indeed. Uh, we will cover that. So um, it, they had their inaugural season there in 1953. Julian Petty won the first of his two Arca events, which coincidentally came back-to-back at Flat Rock. Uh, that track also be, quickly became a staple of the Arca schedule, hosting a total of 56 events from 1953 to the year 2000. Among, uh, you want to list some of the drivers that have earned victories at Flat Rock? I always love doing this. Uh, when you look at some of these names, uh, you got Les Snow, Iggy Katona, Roma Scott, Ron Hutcherson, Moose Myers, Bill Kimmel, Lee Raymond, Bob Dodder, and Bill Venturini, Bob Keselowski, Bobby Bosher, Grand Adux, Harold Fair, Gary Bradbury, Andy Hillenberg, Joe Rutman, Tim Steele, Bill Baird, and then Frank Kimmel. And if you've been a fan of the Arkham Menard series, you you recognize uh, many of those drivers. Okay, so these other drivers that we're going to talk about that are on the entry list, they want to get their name on that list as well. So fresh off the the, the maiden ARCA platform victory last Saturday at Nashville Fairground Speedway, Luke Fenhouse is going to lead the ARCA Menard Series East Field into Saturday's Dutch Boy 150 at Flat Rock. 
he'll look to carry the momentum of his victory from the Music City 200 into Saturday's race at the quarter-mile paved oval. But he's facing several other drivers that are looking to earn some momentum of their own this weekend. And chief off uh, there among them is William Solovich, who has led 498 laps in the four ARCA platform races this year aboard that number 18 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing, but he's only got one victory to show for it. And then making that special one-off appearance in the Dutch Boy 150 will be Billy Venturini, who's making his first ARCA platform start since 2007. And he'll be joined in Venturini Motorsports driver Sean Hingrami, who's going to drive the number 15 car. Also uh, making the trip to Flat Rock is LeVar Scott. He'll continue his maiden Arkham Menard Series East season in Rev Racing's number six Chevrolet, while New York's Derek McGrew Jr. is making his Arca platform debut. He'll be driving that number 31 for Rise Motorsports this weekend. So uh, there's uh, a lot of drivers uh, on this list. And uh, real quick, Jay, let's go from the bottom up here. All right, you got the 06. That'll be uh, Nate Moeller with the Peterson Racing Toyota in the number fifth, uh, or sorry, in the number 06. Dallas Brew from North Aurora, Illinois for FastTrackRacing.com. Uh, he's driving that uh, Hillenburg Toyota, and uh, he's going to be his own crew chief. Number 12, that'll be Stephanie Moyer in the Fast Track UTI Chevrolet, and I think I'm on a different page okay. than you are when it comes to this entry list. Yeah, because you are way off. It should be the number 98 of Dale Shearer. Are you looking at the entry list? I don't think I am. Here we go. Sorry about that. Nate Mueller, okay. You did uh, Dallas Finch, sorry. Uh, the 98, that'll be Dale Shearer, uh, cell phone Toyota in the number 98, comes out of Alabama, Illinois, for Shearer Speed. Illinois. Also driving the number 69 uh, is Will Kimmel. It's good to see him back in that car. From Salisbury, Indiana, for Kimmel Racing Ford, uh, Bill Kimmel will be the owner as well as the crew chief. And the number 65, owned by Jared McZink, as well as crew chief, will be driven by Jeffrey McZink, coming out of right there, Brownstown, Michigan, with the Parkway Services, Syncom Performance Flooring, Toyota. All right. And we have Jeff Smith driving the number 49 from Romeo, Michigan. He'll be driving the Coprea Ford. Uh, for the Brad Smith team, and he's going to be his own crew chief again, driving that number 49. Well, that's almost the same as the 48, but not quite, because their owner, Brad Smith, going to drive his own machine in the Capriya Chevrolet, and Jeff Smith also listed as his crew chief. So driving one car and crew chief in two of them. <laughs> he's going to be pretty busy. Okay, driving the number 31, we mentioned his name earlier, Derek McCrew uh, from Boston Spa, New York, will be driving the next generation roofing Chevrolet. Uh, Tim Goulet is the owner, and he'll also be the crew chief. 
Pinnacle Motorsports coming off the victory. He'll have Luke Fenhouse in the number 28. Comes out of Wausau, Wisconsin with that Chevrolet. And Shane Huffman will be the one crew chief. In... The number 25 uh, is what Billy Venturini is driving. Um, from Concord, North Carolina, Venturi, for Venturini Motorsports Toyota, uh, Billy Venturini, of course, is the tel- uh, team owner, but Shannon Roosh will be the crew chief. I, I think it's the number 20, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't remember. We'll ask him when he comes on here in a little bit. But moving up to the number 18, there's no doubt about that one. That's William Stalwich out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota, driving for Joe Gibbs. Matt, Ro- Matt Ross calling the shots for the Starkey Sound Gear Toyota. Trini Motorsports Entry driving the number 15 is Sean Hingarani from Irvine, California. He'll be driving uh, uh, the Venturini Toyota. Kevin Reed Jr. will be on top of the pit box. And not many come out of Minot, North Dakota, but that's where Ryan Roulette is from. (laughs) He'll be in the number 12 Hillenburg uh, Ford. Crew chief will be Dick Dehaney with Bellatar VFW on the side of that machine. Eric is the crew chief for the Andy Hillenburg Toyota, the NASCAR Foundation NASCAR Day Giveathon, uh, driven by Zachary Tinkle from Speedway, Indiana. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 11 Toyota this weekend. And out of Elmwood, Illinois, comes Tim Monroe, and he's going to be in the Andy Hillenburg Ford number 10. Mike Schroof being the one ahead top of the box there. Jay is on top of the box for the Max Siegel Rev Racing Chevrolet, driven by LeVar Scott from Carney's Point, New Jersey. He'll be driving his familiar number six Chevrolet this weekend. So there you have it. That is the entry list for the Arkham Menard Series East race that's taking place at Flat Rock Speedway this weekend. It's the East Series debut, even though uh, ARCA has raced there uh, from 1953 to 2000. um, uh, This is going to be really a special weekend for the Arkham and Art Series East to do, uh, to have their debut race there. I think so, and it's great to see some of the names that are on there that we have competing for the Arkham Menard Series East Championship this year. Uh, I know we talked about that, the Sioux Chief Showdown kind of going away to put more focus back on the East Series. Uh, They know what they're doing. There are 16 entries here for the East Series race this weekend. Uh, Let's go ahead and cover the uh, Series point standings for the Arca East, and then I'll make sure you know when the next Arca Menards and Arca West race is coming up. All right. Uh, William, stop. Say again, Sharon? No. All right. uh, Top of the points. Let me get this refreshed. It's not showing me the total points, but I know your points leader is William Solich. And the top three points, uh, why is it not showing the whole thing? Um, their uh, stat line reads about the same. Three races, one victory, three top fives, and three top tens with two poles for William Solich. 
I mean, it's not telling me, it's not showing me the whole screen where it shows how many points back they are, but Luke Fenhouse is in second. Six I points back. Had, all right. He is six points back. Ty, the stat line reads identical, except he doesn't have any polls. Same for Jake Finch, and I believe he was eight points back. Uh, one victory, three yeah. top fives, three top tens. Yeah, I can't even see that cut off the side of the points. LeVar Scott is next, and then Sean Hindrani in fifth. Um, if you can give me what those points are at. Yeah. Scott, uh, LeVar Scott is 19 points back. Sean Hingarani is 20 points back. So it's a tight battle after three races. It is. And then sixth through ninth, I know all three or all of those have made the three starts. Zachary Tinkle, Tim Monroe, Dale Shear. Rita Goulette and Tanner Arms is your 10th place. Don't think Rita was listed on the uh, entry list there. Um, so your top eight all in this race this weekend all have made all three starts. And as Sharon pointed out, it's, a, it's still pretty tight up there. Victories kind of spread throughout. Yeah. The only one who has only two races in the books. The other nine drivers all have three. So, yeah, it's... it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I think we might uh, see some shakeups uh, in the series point standings uh, this weekend, as tight as it is. Uh, anything uh, can happen. Especially if uh, the victory were to go to somebody like, say, Billy Venturini, who's making his first start. <laughs> <laughs> yep, after 17 years. Okay, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, they are going to be racing May 26th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Out at Charlotte Motor Speedway, they'll race the General Tire 150 starting at 6 p.m. Eastern, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So uh, that's kind of exciting to see it on national TV, along with the other series that are going to be racing in NASCAR. And then the Arkham and Art Series West, their next race will be the Portland 112 on June 2nd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Portland International Raceway. Now, that race is going to be available via live streaming at Flow Racing. But keep in mind, the radio coverage is always available at ARCAracing.com. They also have the Race Central available where you can get up-to-date posts about what is happening at the track. So uh, uh, really uh, great uh, coverage that they provide over at ARCAracing.com. Most certainly. Again, wherever you need to find it, uh, find it and watch it however you can or keep track of it. There are so many different platforms available. I know uh, I prefer to see them on TV on the replay, but if you want to watch them live, there are ways you can. Um, Yeah, I I can't wait to hear. Let me check my queue. He's not here yet, but yeah, now I'm confused over which car he's going to be driving. The press release says he's driving the number 20, uh, but the entry list says the number 25. So we'll get some clarification on that and uh, go from there when uh, Mr. Venturini joins us here in just a few minutes. Um, But who's your favorite to win this weekend, Jay? Well, I'd, man, that's a tough one. Uh, right now, I'd, I'd kind of have to give it to uh, Jake Garcia, just with, uh, I'm sorry, Jake Finch. Um, 
They've kind of bounced around back and forth. I know William Salwich and Luke Fenhouse, the two that battled it out there at Nashville, uh, I think that puts it in turn for uh, Jake to come through on this one. Yes. If Sean Hingarani doesn't show up in the East Series here as well. So it, it is going to be interesting to see who is uh, the first one across the finish line when it's all said and done. So uh, we're coming up to the top of the hour here. Our guest is here, so I'm going to bring him into the queue. And uh, first of all, let me welcome you to the show, uh, Billy Venturini. We're, we're honored to have you as our guest here tonight. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Billy, one point of clarification. We, I, I, when I read the press release, it said that you're going to be driving the number 20 for Venturini Motorsports, but we were just reading the enter list, and it says you're in the 25. So which one is it? It's the 20. Uh, I guess Arca made a little error. I drove the 25 my whole career, and that was kind of the family number. But the uh, 20 car, we were running that full-time in the E-Series uh, with a collection of different drivers, and I needed to fill the seat for Flat Rock, and that's the one I wanted to do. So it just made sense to get in the 20. Plus, that's been kind of that's kind of been my little baby for, for a long time. That started as the, the 20 started as the 55, um, and that was kind of like my first number that I personally owned, and then we turned it into the 20 eventually. Uh, now, since then, we've also – back off into having the 55 and the 20, but uh, originally the 20 was the 55. That's what I was thinking. That car had uh, more meaning to you personally. Uh, but this race is a race that you've had on your bucket list for some time, and I think there's a very special reason that you've chosen Flat Rock to be the track that you come back to and, and the reason you have it on your bucket list. You know, honestly, it had nothing to do with being a race car driver or driving a race car again. I really didn't have any desire to do that. I just, when I got done with my career, the one thing that kind of bummed me out wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that I didn't make it to the cup level or anything like that. I mean, that's just, you know, things happen as they they were meant to be and and tried really hard and just couldn't make it at that level. Um, But I was wondering Flat Rock as a kid, watched my dad win there. When uh, actually the first time I ever went to Victory Lane in a NARCA race was with Dad there in '83, um, and I got to watch all my heroes growing up, like Dave Waltmeyer and Bob Strait and Grant Adcox, and of course my father, all race there. And I just thought Flat—I thought Flat Rock was the coolest track. Like to me, there's nothing cooler than a night race at Flat Rock and then coming to the green and just—it's just so cool. And I'm looking forward to—it's something I always wanted to do and. Uh, and luckily I'm fortunate enough that I own a whole bunch of ARC cars and I was able to make something happen that was one thing that I that I kind of missed out on in my career. Yes, and that does make uh, this a very special weekend for you, Billy. Um, now, I know that um, uh, we've talked to your dad, we've talked to your mom and the story behind Venturini Motorsports. I happen to have lived in Chicago for for 40 years, and uh, I've known the Venturini name for a long, long time. But you're the next generation of Venturini Motorsports, uh, and I've got a feeling that you coming into a car this weekend might have another benefit to you as the team owner. 
Well, that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really. No, I'm not really sure about that. I mean, I, I gotta be honest. This is this isn't something I'm gonna do again. This will be a one-time thing, and uh, it really, it really. This is honestly just to go have fun and do something I haven't ever done. It really didn't have any deeper meaning than that, other than I mean, it did for for the sentimental of it, but um, no, this is, you know, I've been I've been. I've been running the team since 2007. So since 2007, it's been pretty much, well, not pretty much. It's been, it's been my, my responsibility to make sure Venturi and Motorsports stayed alive. It's been my responsibility to make sure all the employees are paid and, and keep the doors open. And um, I'm kind of proud of what we've built. I think it's a, it's turned into a really amazing race team and, and I love the people I got there and I uh, love the, basically the chemistry that we have amongst uh, all the people and just the culture we've built, but uh, now nah, I'm, I'm gonna say this is just this is this isn't really anything more than than just living out something from childhood stuff. Okay, okay, I'll take your word for it. Uh, I just thought maybe there was a chance that uh, getting behind the wheel would would uh, help give you some insights of what it's like to be a driver in today's world. <laughs> Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm glad these kids do this. They're they're awesome what they do. Yeah, yesterday was the first time I drove a race car in 16 years, um, and I had I did have fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm nowhere near as sharp as I would like to be, um, but I, honestly, there's no way I was going to be out of the seat for that amount of time and and think I would be. You know, um, but it was. Uh, it actually had I had a good day, good day yesterday. I had a good test. I think I can go there and be. I'm going to be competitive enough to have fun, and that's really what my goal was: is just to to enjoy the night, enjoy the. Uh, you know, it, it is going to be kind of cool because my kid, my my own children are going to be there, um, and I had retired before they were before they were born, so they're this is this will be cool. They're actually going to see their 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 old dad. Uh, put a helmet on for for one time so but this will be a one and done type situation if it wasn't for flat rock there's no way i would be driving a race car you couldn't pay me enough money to run charlotte the following week like <laughs> i promise there isn't enough out there uh i just that's not on my uh i've worked awfully hard to build what i've what i've built and i'm just not willing to go do anything like to that extreme anymore. Like it's just to me, I'm I'm like I'm glad these kids are doing that, but you couldn't pay me to go in the corner 180 miles an hour again. I did that crap when I was way younger. I think I think you're gonna continue to enjoy your weekend then out at Flat Rock Speedway. Now I do have a co-host here tonight. His name is Jay Huseman, and uh, he's got a few questions for you as well. Okay. Sure. Shoot. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, you just listed all the things you're responsible for handling. What drives a person such as yourself to add that responsibility of driving the car? Uh, I know you're saying it's just for fun. I'll be curious to hear a comment after the weekend to see if your statement is the same of you don't want to do this all the time anymore. But what, what is that inner drive just to be able to do that in addition to, I mean, we've seen you crew chief, uh, building the organization and everything to add to that plate. Well, I've I've played every every uh, spot on the field through the years. I started as just a floor sweep. Uh, eventually, ended up as a, the tire guy for my dad. Uh, then the tire changer. Then I was a spotter. 
then I drove, then after I got out of the seat, then I crew chiefed again, then I started to crew chief. Uh, now my role is basically just managing the whole team, and uh, I, do, I do spot often, or I'll go up and I actually, like, will spot multiple cars. Like, we'll still have a full-time spotter, but I'll be on their channel too, kind of talking to the spotters and the crew chief, kind of telling them what I feel like the car needs, what the driver needs to improve. So I'm kind of basically a quality control guy for the entire organization now. But um, this is no more responsibility this weekend because there's no pressure on this. Like, there's no expectations um, because I've been fortunate enough. We've won 80, I don't even know, 86, 87 races in the series all the time. I mean, we've obviously we've had a good run. Um, So I'm not going there to try to prove anything to anyone. This is simply because, well, I wanted to and I can. So I'm going to. So that's basically what the whole weekend's about. Well, I'll help you out with keeping up with some of that stuff. Uh, we had that in our notes. Uh, you are the winningest team in serious history with a commanding 88 wins. Uh, so that's where your stats 80, are at. 88. I didn't even know. I didn't even know the amount, but I know it's. I know it's a lot. <laughs> with that, I kind of had the same thought as Sharon. Um, we've seen this year. You started with racing with the West Series as well, and expanding that a little bit. What is that kind of leading to towards as far as the future? Was that kind of a, just an opportunity the way it came as well? It was an opportunity, but i, I got to be honest, I love it out there. Um, love that series. They have a beautiful series out there. The competitors are wonderful. Um, the series is great to run. Um, if we can continue to be a, a, West, a West team also, uh, it is something that we will continue for, for years to come if it uh, – if the opportunity keeps coming. Um, but I'm going to, I've never had, I've never really tried to steer people. Cause we're always, I gotta be honest, we're, we're lucky enough. We get a lot of people who want to drive for us. And we got a lot of clients who are looking for, for races to run. And we've never really offered West races, but after going out there, it is absolutely going to be something we offer uh, again next year. And hopefully for many years to come that, that whole West, atmosphere is just unbelievable it's it's really the most fun racing i've had in probably my whole career it's 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 awesome well my my last question would be kind of kind of another one leaning towards the future we've seen a couple of teams McAnally racing from the west series rev racing from the east take that next step into the trucks or the xfinity series um you'll always obviously be a staple within the arca menard series but has that ever even uh, come across your thought process or any kind of plans for that or thoughts about it? Um, no, we're going to stay right where we're at. Um, we've been, we've really created a really solid uh, business for in where we're at. And uh, um, <laughs> without being too, if, if their businesses ran like ours did, they, they wouldn't have left because you wouldn't want the distraction of going to another series. Um, you this it just takes too much. Like Rev's doing a great job and they're an awesome running organization, but they don't have the amount of races that we have to run in the ARPA series. If they did, they couldn't even be thinking about doing a truck deal. And then McAnally, you know, he just had a shortage of the West Coast deal, so he had to come out east with the truck stuff and he's done a great job and uh you know, and I'll be honest, I'm a huge fan of 
Christian Eckes, you know, he drove for me. And I'm loving McAnally having that success with Christian because uh, Christian's just a superstar and eventually he should be a, hopefully be a cup driver because he deserves it. Well, and before I hand it back over to Sharon, I got to say, like I said, you've always been a staple in the Arkham and Ard series. Um, maybe not moving up your own team, but the drivers that have come through your organization that have gone on to the other series, other teams, certainly a success. And it requires having that opportunity like your team that gives them that opportunity. So, um, although I'd kind of like to see you move up, uh, you know, obviously you know your role and content with it and do a good job at it. So congratulations on that and have fun this weekend. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Okay, I'm I'm going to bring it back to um, Flat Rock and and your crew chief Shannon Rush, and um, your spotter is actually going to be Brendan Poole. Uh, how cool is that? You know, I, I one of the coolest things about this whole whole process and about me coming back and running a race was how so many of my ex drivers have offered to help and wanted to help in the process. It's been cool. I mentioned Christian Eckes. Christian helped me in making sure that I was prepared, uh, just getting me some more, just making sure I had all the right information for, um, for, for basically how the cars have changed through the years. Um, I spent time, Jesse Love made sure I needed my helmet painted. Jesse Love made sure I got, he got that handled for me and, uh, got me hooked up with the helmet guy when I needed to buy a bell helmet. And he just, he, he was making sure I had all my stuff there. Tommy Hesser let me borrow his Hans for the weekend. Uh, and Brennan Poole one that he's offered the spot for me. Like it was just really cool. Um, Justin Boston and, uh, Corey Heim and Michael Self and Landon Huffman and all these people have reached out asking if I needed anything, asking, asking if they could help. It was just, it was super cool to hear all them with all the nice things to say and kind of, everyone's been, was pretty excited about it. So that was cool. That was fun. Yeah, they should be. Um, you've had a lot of really great drivers come through venturing in motorsports under your your uh, leadership, and including the two-time Cup Series champion, Joey Logano. Uh, William Byron might be on his way to a championship here. Alex Bowman, Christopher Bell, Eric Jones, Chandler Smith, Corey Heim, uh, and Christian Eckes. Christian, uh, he's from Michigan, I believe, isn't he? No, he's from Connecticut. Um, Eric Jones would be my Michigan driver. Yeah, he's from he's from Connecticut, um, or actually New York. I should say New York. Um, But uh, but the uh, yeah, we had I think right now in the Cup Series we're just short of having half the field. I think right now we're at 17 drivers that have been through the program of the 36 right now. That's that's amazing. 88 victories and uh, just the you know I think about Frank Kimmel too. A few years ago when Frank Kimmel came and uh, was working with your organization, something you guys were such rivals for so long. Uh, and I thought coming back being the winningest driver as well. Um, that that what a powerful duo you guys must be. Well, you know, he's he's no longer with us, and uh, I guess the rivalry still continues. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. 
Uh, but Billy, we're just <laughs> we're just super excited uh, about uh, you racing this weekend at Flat Rock uh, Speedway, and uh, uh, just honored that you came on the show to to talk with us a little bit about it. Uh, your family has such a rich history within the Arkham and Arts series, and you certainly are a very big part of that. Um, uh, I bet your dad is your mom. Is your mom and dad going to be there? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, they wouldn't. You couldn't keep them away. They're uh, they're still active as can be with the team. They're they're still there on uh, on a daily basis. They don't. They kind of pick and choose their own hours, but uh, but they're uh, they're there all the time. They they still love the race shop and love to be part of it. Okay, well, I'm sure it's not the first time, but. Uh, if you were to go to Victory Lane this weekend, are you going to get the Big Bill uh, gifts? If I Victory go to Lane? Victory Lane this weekend, if, if, I'm go, if I'm going to Victory Lane this weekend, it's probably going to visit, visit Sean Hingarani because he won in my car. Because I highly doubt I'm going to win this weekend. But uh, <laughs> and I would be, and I hope I got to be honest, I'd rather that kid win way before I I would need it. Um, but I'm going to just go out and compete well, have fun. Uh, if we can run in the top five, that would be awesome. If we don't, so be it. But uh, I'm honestly, I'm going to be the one I'm rooting for this weekend is the 15. Okay. Well, Sean Hingarani is a talented driver. I know he's got uh, a couple of wins already this season and uh, compete. He's competing in both series this year, right? He's, he's competing in all three series. He's running all the, the whole East series, the whole West series, and he's running some premier races also. Okay, fantastic. I think he's a talented guy, and and uh, I know he's uh, under good leadership at Venturini Motorsports. So uh, thanks again, Billy, for coming on board with us tonight and uh, talking about uh, the Venturini Motorsports organization, but also uh, this special weekend for you out at Flat Rock Speedway. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. Okay. And do you do you have any other shout outs you want to do before we uh, say goodnight? No, I think I think I think we hit all, all the big stuff tonight, but I appreciate you having me on. No problem. Take care now. Uh you too. Bye. Um, that was Billy Venturini driving the number twenty JBL uh Toyota this weekend out at Flat Rock Speedway. And uh, what a pleasure to have a conversation with Billy Venturini, Jay. Well, and Sharon, uh, I was on mute, but I said the exact same thing you did when he talked about having 17, half of the drivers at the cup level having come through his organization. Uh, you know, that was a wow. I mean, that's just unbelievable. I knew it was a lot, but I did not realize that much. And then as he mentioned, though, when he opted to, uh, to make the, or do this race at Flat Rock, the drivers and people that have come through that wanted to come back and help and make sure he had the best effort going into it um, just tells you what that organization means to the sport of racing and the Arkham and Ard series. Yes, it, it really uh, is going to be a special weekend, and, and it tells you the kind of leadership that he offers that organization that all of these drivers wanted to be a part of this with him. And uh, I know the leadership there is very, very good, and um, uh, we hear it from the drivers. 
how much they enjoy racing with Venturini Motorsports. And when they're looking for an organization to race for, this is the team that they want to race for. And um, uh, the first place they, they knock on the door to get an opportunity. So uh, I know the leadership there is just outstanding. And the last thing I took from what, from what you said mentioned about him possibly winning, he said that's really not even his focus. The winning car that they're putting that effort behind is the 15. You know, he's there, he's there to have some fun, hopefully run good or whatever, but he said he would rather have that 15 win versus himself. I mean, that tells you right there what he gives to the team instead right. of himself. Yep, it, it certainly does. So, Again, uh, a real honor to have Billy Venturini on the show with us here tonight. Uh, but now it's time for us to kind of move on, Jay. We're going to go ahead and move on to the uh, NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, they are going to be racing this weekend out at North Wilkesboro Speedway, the Tyson 250, this Saturday, May the 20th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 1 p.m., and radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 156.25 miles, over 250 laps. Uh, the first two stages are 70 laps apiece. So the first stage ends on lap 70, second stage on lap 140, and the last stage is 110 laps, ending on lap 250. So uh, let's go ahead and get started with our truck series review or preview here. Well, we talked about some drivers already having raced at North Wilkesboro, but there's several that are doubling up at the top series. As several NASCAR Cup Series drivers will be moonlighting in this Tyson 250 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race at North Wilkesboro on Saturday. That hopes is to get some extra seat time prior to the NASCAR All-Star Race and Open Race. We start with the 2311's Bubba Wallace. He'll be back in the number one Tricon Garage Toyota this weekend, working alongside crew chief Seth Smith. Now, Wallace made his Truck Series debut, season debut last weekend at Darlington, where he posted the top ten finish, coming home seventh. Hendrick Motorsports, uh, driver, Hendrick Motorsports drivers Kyle Larson and William Byron, they'll also be making starts in the Truck Series this weekend. As Larson will jump behind the wheel of the number seven Spire Motorsports Chevrolet with crew chief Kevin Mannion, and that's to fill in for Alex Bowman. We'll talk about that a little later. Uh, Byron, he's going to be piloting the number 51 Kyle Busch Motorsports Chevrolet and have crew chief Brian Patty with him. Another one, NASCAR Cup Series driver standings leader and track house racing driver, Ross Chastain. He'll compete in the Tyson 250 this weekend. Chastain will be in the number 41 Nice Motorsports Chevrolet, working with crew chief Mike Hillman. Now, Chastain has, already, Chastain has already made five truck series starts this season, posting two top fives. And last but not least, you've got Joe Gibbs Racing, Christopher Bell. He'll be making the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series start this weekend at North Wilkesboro. Bell will be in the Hattori Racing Enterprises number 61 uh, with crew chief John Leonard. And this will be Bell's debut with HRE and his first Truck Series start since 2018. Okay, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, also, Josh Williams is coming back to the Craftsman Truck Series. 
He's looking to make his return to the series for the first time since 2014. Williams has three Cup Series starts alongside 164 Xfinity Series starts. His first and only race in the Craftsman Truck Series uh, kind of uh, didn't start off well. Uh, it resulted in a DNF. It did not finish at Martinsville because of a brake issue. So it'll be good to see Josh Williams uh, returning to the Truck Series this weekend. Well, we've talked a lot about the history of North Wilkesboro, and we got some more as Ron Hornaday Jr., Mike Skinner, and Jeff Kahn have been named as the Tyson 250 dignitaries. Uh, two of them are the most notable NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series drivers, Ron Hornaday Jr. and Mike Skinner. They'll join the renowned Cup Series crew chief, Jeff Hammond, as the dignitaries for the Tyson 250. Ron Hornaday Jr. is a NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee and a four-time NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion as he participated in the inaugural night Tyson 250 back in 1995 and finished fifth. Month, Hornaday Jr. was named as one of the NASCAR's 75 greatest drivers. So he'll return to North Wilkesboro this weekend as the Grand Marshal. Now, Mike Skinner, he was the 1995 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion, uh, was the pole winner for the inaugural Tyson 250 that same year. Known as the Gunslinger, he'll make his return to the .625-mile track as he's going to wave the green flag. And then Jeff Hammond, a two-time NASCAR Cup Series title-winning crew chief, has deep roots at the race at that race back further than most. Uh, Hammond worked nearby for Junior Johnson's race team through the mid-1980s before following Darrell Waltrip to Hendrick Motorsports. The Truck Series race-winning team owner will return as the honorary Chevrolet Silverado pace truck driver. Okay, pretty cool. Uh, now, five drivers have earned their spot in the Cup Series in the Truck Series playoffs this season. Uh, there's just seven le- races left in the regular season, so uh, we'll take a look at who's locked in right now. So, five drivers are locked in by virtue of wins. That includes Zane Smith with wins at Daytona, as well as Coda. You've got Christian Eckes uh, with his win at Atlanta and Darlington. Carson Hosefire at Texas, Corey Heim won at Martinsville, and most recently, Grant Infinger with his win at Kansas Speedway. Now, there's some other drivers that are in our points. Three drivers have built up a points cushion of 33 or more points over the playoff cut line after Darlington. They include Ty Majewski, who has a 102-point advantage, Ben Rhodes, uh, plus 74, and Matt Crafton at plus 35. Just 27 points above that cutoff and ranked ninth in the in the Truck Series playoff outlook is Trigon Garage's Tanner Gray. Following behind Gray is the Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate Nick Sanchez, just six points above that cut line. Uh, those drivers that are on the outside looking in, another 10 drivers sit outside the playoff spot but they still have plenty of time to race their way into the uh, Truck Series playoffs. That would include Hamar Friesen Racing's uh, Stuart Friesen. He's 11th in the playoff standing, six points behind Nick Sanchez. Rackley 
Uh, War, uh, Matt DiBenedetto sits 28 points off the final playoff spot. And following Friesen and DiBenedetto is Jake Garcia down 36 points from the cutoff. Tyler Ankrum down 37. Chase Purdy down 40. Haley Deegan down 48. Raja Caruth down 69. Kobe Howard 88 down. Daniel Dye, 93 down, and Brett Holmes, 102 points back. So uh, we still get some racing to uh, take place here, and a lot can change. But uh, there you have a playoff outlook as it stands today. Well, and when we look at it, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series returning to North Wilkesboro Speedway, theirs is a points race. And it's the first time in 27 years that the Truck Series is returning to North Wilkesville Speedway for this Tyson 250 on Saturday, May 20th. It's deep in the heart of North Carolina moonshine country. The homecoming to the .625 mile track is a return to some of NASCAR's oldest and deepest routes. North Wilkesville Speedway is unlike any other track on the schedule. It's a paved oval that runs downhill on the front stretch and uphill on the back stretch. North Wilkesboro has hosted two NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series races, with the inaugural event being held in its series' first season back in September of 1995. The race was won by Mike Bliss driving a Ford for car owner Jim Smith. The inaugural race had 32 entries, produced nine lead changes among six different drivers. And then the Craftsman Truck Series' last race at North Wilkesboro in that year of 1996 and then NASCAR Hall of Famer driver Mark Martin took the checkered flag in his second career NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race. It was the first victory by a driver who was not a regular in the series since Terry Labonte had won at Richmond in 1995. Martin won that one race driving the number 99 Ford for what is now RFK Racing. Well. Uh, double down, Christian Eckes teams the Darlington uh, Raceway with a double overtime victory. Leading a race-high 82 laps, McAnally Hilgerman Racing's Christian Eckes survived some late race overtime chaos to take that victory at Darlington last weekend. Eckes was able to hold off several drivers, uh, including the pole sitter, Corey Hine, Cup Series regular William Byron, and Stuart Friesen to take the win. Um, the win was Eckie's second of the season in the third of his career, following a string of five races in which the driver of the number 19, Mac- McAnally Hilgerman Racing Chevrolet, had finished 30th three times and 15th twice. Hallmark Friesen Racing, Stuart Friesen, launched himself into a season-best second-place finish, after that superb restart that put him just behind Eckes in the first overtime. This was Friesen's third top ten finish in five races at Darlington. Tanner Gray ran third, despite struggling with his car early in the race. With his second win of the season, Eckes has moved into fifth in the Truck Series uh, playoff standings. He's just 39 points back from Zane Smith, who sits in the standings lead. Eckes is one of five drivers 
that have secured their spot in the, into the playoffs this season. We mentioned them earlier, but it's worth another mention. Zane Smith has the two wins, Christian Eckes two wins, Corey Heim, Grant Infinger, and Carson Hosovar each have one win. So uh, as I read the first part of this, uh, Jay, uh, I noticed a lot of these names are uh, Venturini Motorsports uh, graduates. Well, there you go. Like I said, that that just amazed me, but you're right. I know we talked about Christian Ecke specifically, but so many of them that uh, Venturini Motorsports has played a role in. Yes, indeed. Now, I just want to mention the NASCAR Xfinity Series is not racing this weekend. However, they will be racing the Ausco Uniforms 300 at Charlotte Motor Speedway on Saturday, May the 27th. That race should start at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Pre-race coverage will be on FS1 starting at 12.30 p.m. with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Uh, We do have a few updates here that we're going to give you for the Xfinity Series. Uh, But, uh, again, they're not racing this weekend. We've got to wait another week to see them back on the track. Well, I know Mike had this one up as an exciting point, a hot topic or whatever, but <laughs> College Racing has tagged road racing expert Jordan Taylor for Portland. College Racing has announced road racing ace Jordan Taylor will pilot the number 10 Chevrolet Camaro for his first Xfinity Series start. That'll come at Portland International Raceway. The 32-year-old is a seasoned veteran that comes to road and street courses worldwide currently competing full-time as a Corvette factory driver in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Now, Taylor made his first-ever NASCAR Cup Series start earlier this year at Circuit of Americas in Coda while filling in for the injured Chase Elliott. So, excited to see him get this Xfinity Series start. Yeah, so, now, there was a shakeup in the Xfinity Series standings. Uh, Nemechek now has the lead. And after several weeks of Austin Hill sitting on top of the Xfinity Series driver standings, uh, that new leader, John Hunter Nemechek, from Joe Gibbs Racing, snags that top spot with 424 points, just one point ahead of Hill, who sits at 423. So it's close. Junior Motorsports teammates uh, Justin Algauer down 53, Josh Berry down 57, take up the third and fourth place spots. Then there's Stuart Haas Racing's Cole Custer sitting close behind in fifth at 365 points. He's 59 points down. College Racing's rookie uh, Chandler Smith sits in sixth place at 340 points. Then it's Richard Childress Racing's Sheldon Creed sliding in next. He has the 330 points, and he's followed by Joe Gibbs Racing's rookie, Sammy Smith, at 323 points. Then you've got Stuart Haas Racing's Larry Earps taking up that ninth spot at 313 points, followed by Sam Mayer down uh, uh, 115 points, Daniel Hemrick down 150, and Parker Kligerman down 151 points. Jeff Burton took the checkered flag at Talladega to secure his spots into the playoff. Uh, He comes in next with Brandon Jones down 160, still fighting for his spot into the 23 uh, playoffs for this season in the Xfinity Series. So uh, 
we'll see what happens uh, when they get back to the track at Charlotte. Well, one of the teams ready for that is Junior Motorsports to take on Charlotte Motor Speedway. It'll be Junior Motorsports' Josh Berry. He'll be looking to post back-to-back wins at Charlotte Motor Speedway in the first victory of the 2023 season. But he's sure to have some tough competition. The JRM teammate Justin Algar is no rookie when it comes to the 1.5-mile Charlotte, North Carolina track. He's got 20 starts under his belt. And in those, he's posted five top fives, 11 top tens, and led 77 laps. Like Barry, Algar is still looking to land himself in victory lane this season. And if his performance at Dover with a third place and Darlington second place are any indication of how he'll run next weekend at Charlotte, he's got a good chance of taking that checkered flag. Another member of the JRM team that could show a, put on a show this weekend is Sam Mayer. The 19-year-old posted his first start at Charlotte Motor Speedway last season, snagging the pole and walking away with a third-place finish. Although he's still a newbie when it comes to running the Charlotte Oval, he's proved he can handle himself on 1.5-mile tracks. Earlier this season at Las Vegas Motor Speedway at 1.5-mile track, he posted a seventh-place finish. And in his three starts at Texas Motor Speedway's 1.5-mile track, he's posted one top five and two top tens. Last but not least, Brandon Jones, who's in his first season with Junior Motorsports, has nine Charlotte Motor Speedway starts in the books. In those nine starts, he's posted three top ten finishes and put up some good finishes at other 1.5-mile tracks. Las Vegas in 13 starts, he's got two top fives and nine top tens. At Texas, he's got 14 starts with two top fives and six top tens. So look, look for Junior Motorsports to be a heavy favorite at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Okay, and to wrap up our Xfinity Series updates, uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway, again, is up next for the series. After a wild finish at Darlington Raceway last weekend that saw Cup Series uh, star Kyle Larson in the number 10 Chevrolet for colleague Racing snatched that checkered flag from Joe Gibbs Racing's John Hunter Nemechek on the final lap. The Xfinity Series will be taking a break before they head back to action at Charlotte Motor Speedway again Saturday, May the 27th. There have been 77 NASCAR Xfinity Series races at Charlotte Motor Speedway that date back to the inaugural event on May 29, 1982, and that race was won by Harry Gant. The track has produced 38 different Xfinity Series winners and 50 different pole winners. Twelve Xfinity Series races at Charlotte have been won from the pole or that first starting spot, most recently by Brad Keselowski in 2018. As with many tracks, Kyle Busch is etched in the Charlotte Motor Speedway record books. He has the most wins at nine, the most top fives at 19, top tens at 22, and lead lap finishes 22, along with laps led at 1,000. 475. The defending winner at Charlotte is Junior Motorsports driver Josh Berry, a victory he snagged over Ty Gibbs by an impressive 18.039 thousandths of a second. The Xfinity Series on-track action at the 1.5-mile Charlotte Motor Speedway will kick off with practice starting at 
3.35 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by qualifying at 4.05 p.m. Eastern on Friday, May the 26th. Again, that's a week from now. Okay, now we're going to move into, and we've got a lot to cover here, so we'll have to uh, do the, what do we call it, the Reader's Digest version here. But um, we have the All-Star Open at North Wilkesboro Speedway. will take place Sunday, May the 21st at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be covered on Fox Sports 1 starting at 5 p.m. Radio coverage again on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 62.5 miles over 100 laps. So let's cover the showdown here first, uh, Jay. And what do we have? All right. Uh, let me scroll up to where the showdown itself starts. Well, there's several Cup Series drivers that entered both the ASA and the Cars Tour oh, okay. events at Wilkesboro earlier this year, or earlier this week. All right, we've kind of hit on some of this already. Um, there are five Cup drivers that were in Tuesday's ASA Stars National Tour Super Late Model EC. MD-150, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Noah Gregson, Eric Jones, and Daniel Suarez. Look back at the results for those um, on one of the sites, I believe, Racing America had it. And then the ASA regulars um, that had to compete against some other notable stars Tuesday were Truck Series standouts Carson Harsavar, Carson Hosevar, Grant Infinger, Ty Majeski, and Johnny Sauter as well as Xfinity Series regulars Sammy Smith and Chandler Smith. On Wednesdays, it was a NASCAR Hall of Famer, Dale Earnhardt Jr., who led a contingent of NASCAR Cup Series drivers for the Window World 125 Cars Tour late model stock car event. It also included Kevin Harvick, Brad Kozlowski, Ross Jastain, Daniel Suarez, Chase Briscoe. Uh, Harrison Burton ended up being a scratch on that one. Again, you can find their results um, over at Racing America. And we also had a couple of uh, truck series uh, drivers, Tyler Ankrum and Tate Fogelman, were on, competed in the Windows World 125. And then Wednesday's Cars Tour Crossroads 75, um, that is a pro late model race. That was headlined by series leader Mike Hopkins, Caden Cavapel, Katie Henninger, Brett Suggs, and Brent Cruz. But we also had the trio of truck stars, Carson Hosevar and Corey Heim, along with multi-series journeyman Garrett Smithley involved in that one. The uh, IMSA champ talked about Jordan Taylor. He was entered in the race under his official social media alter ego, Rodney Sandstorm. He was in the number one Chevrolet for E33 Motorsports with a Jeff Gordon Rainbow Warrior throwback paint scheme, so you can check that out. That was his first time competing on the oval track in the stock car. Okay. Now, always part of the All-Star Race Weekend, and I'm glad they brought it back. Uh, Mechanics Wear is actually named the presenting sponsor of the NASCAR Pit Crew Challenge this weekend. Uh, so the pit crews will be highlighted as they compete in the challenge presented by Mechanics Wear. Uh, this harkens back to NASCAR's uh, pit crew challenges of the 80s and 90s, uh, the high-octane octane Friday night pit road spectacle will consist of each team performing a four-tire pit stop with no fuel. 
The results of the challenge presented by Mechanics Royal will determine the lineups for Saturday's All-Star Heat Races, as well as the All-Star Open that will take place on Sunday. Uh, so uh, it's pretty cool uh, to see Mechanics Wear as uh, the title sponsor there uh, for something that's been very popular as part of the All-Star Weekend, and that's the NASCAR Pit Crew Challenge. It certainly is. And we mentioned some of these already. I'll go through them. Some big names serving as dignitaries at North Wilkesville as the spotlight is going to shine extra bright extra bright at the recently revitalized North Wilkesboro for this NASCAR All-Star Race Week. Uh, Hall of Famers from the NASCAR Hall of Fame, Richard Petty and Darrell Waltrip, the winningest drivers in North Wilkesboro Speedway history, are going to be co-grand marshals for the prestigious event. Four-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jeff Gordon, who won the last NASCAR Cup race held at North Wilkesboro in 96, and his crew chief, then crew chief, Ray Everham, are also serving in special roles as honorary pace car driver and honorary starter uh, to help get the NASCAR All-Star Race activities underway Sunday night. Uh, Saturday for the truck series, it'll be former drivers uh, Ron Hornaday Jr. and Mike Skinner, as well as two-time Cup Series champion crew chief Jeff Hammond, and uh, will help with the countdown in their various roles. Another host of the hottest talent in country music, they'll per- be performing throughout the All-Star Week on the Fan Zone stage in free race ceremonies. And those include Dirks Bentley, Midland, Chase Rice, Cameron Marlowe, Hannah Dasher, Tim Duggar, and rising stars Josh Ross and Alex Key. The multi-platinum entertainer Bentley is a fan-favorite country performer with a smooth delivery and a catalog full of popular songs, including 21 number one hits, will command the stage during the pre-race concert on Sunday, just before the start of the All-Star Race. I'm going to go down to the list here of other dignitaries. Uh, let's see. What's that? The ones that we have not already mentioned. All right. Um, dignitaries for the All-Star Friday, presented by Raymond Raymer Oil Company. The concert's opening act will be Josh Ross, uh, who's on tour with Chris Rice. And then Midland and Chase uh, on the fan zone stage later in the evening. And Grand Marshal for the Truck Series, I think we hit all of those there. The National Anthem will be your country music rising star, Alex Key. The Invocation will be North Carolina Senator, Eddie settle and then on sunday the grand marshals be soldiers from the welcome home patriots program god god bless america will be by hannah dasher the recording artist and social media influencer invocation will be nick perry the mro chaplain and then the all-star race the pre-race concert will be tim duggar here's where dirks bentley will also play following him Mentioned the Grand Marshal as the starter and the pace car driver. The national anthem will be Cameron Marlowe, your country music star and Canapolis, North Carolina native. And the invocation will be Will Graham, executive director of the Billy Graham Training Center. So a lot being put into this weekend here for the North Wilkesboro All-Star Race. 
skip up here to NASCAR.com's All-Star Fan Vote. That is still underway, and uh, with the race coming up this Sunday, May the 21st, uh, the fan vote is still going strong. Voting will be open until 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. So fans can still vote uh, for one eligible driver once a day per each unique email address. The fan vote began in 2004 with Ken Schrader earning his first accolade during the All-Star Weekend. In total, 16 different drivers have won the fan vote during the All-Star Weekend. In 2008, Casey Kane became the first driver to not only get into the All-Star Race by the fan vote, but he went on to win the All-Star Race. He started 24th, which was last place in the All-Star Race, and then ended up winning. He led the last 17 laps to win. Danica Patrick became the first driver to win more than one fan vote into the All-Star Race in 2013 as well as 2015. She's also the only female to win the fan vote into the All-Star Race. Chase Elliott became the first driver to win the fan vote in consecutive seasons, 2016, 17, and 18, and also the first driver to win it three times. Elliott leads the series in fan vote wins. Chase Elliott, Casey Kane, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Joey Logano, Carl Edwards are the only five drivers who have won the All-Star Race and the fan vote in their careers. Kane won both in 2008. Earnhardt Jr. won the All-Star Race in 2000 in the fan vote in 2011. Logano won the fan vote in 2009 in the All-Star Race in 16. Edwards won the fan vote in 2010 and the All-Star Race in 2011. Elliott won the fan vote from 2016 to 18 in the All-Star Race in 2020. So uh, pretty cool to see that happening. Um Let's cover the format, Jay. All right. That was a glimpse into where's the format. All right. The NASCAR All-Star Race format. Oh, let me see if it's got the open. Yeah, it starts with the All-Star Race uh, open format. All right. Which section do you want me to start with here? There's like – all right, here we go. 2003 All-Star – uh, open and all-star race itself, the formats. Start with the NASCAR all-star race and open qualifying or the pit crew challenge. The pit crew challenge will be on Friday, May 19th. That will determine the starting lineups for two heat races as well as the open. The pit crew challenge order is determined by current driver point standings in reverse, going from last to first. Each car's qualifying time will be based solely on their pit stop time from the pit crew challenge. The timing lines will be established one box behind and one box ahead of the designated pit box. And teams must compete a, complete a four-tire stop during that pit crew challenge. Then we get to the NASCAR All-Star Heat Races. 21 drivers already locked into that All-Star field will split into two 60-lap or 37.5 miles heat races on Saturday night, May 20th, which will determine the starting lineup for the All-Star Race. All laps, caution and green, will count. And each race will get one chance at overtime if needed. Results of heat race one will establish the inside row. Heat two will set the outside row. 
And the remaining teams not already locked into the All-Star race. They're going to compete in the All-Star Open. Now, that'll be on Sunday, May 21st. They'll feature the drivers not previously eligible already for the All-Star. And that'll be 100 laps or 62.5 miles. Again, all laps will count, caution as well as green, and the Open will get one chance at overtime if needed. There will be a competition break at or around lap 40. Now, three drivers will advance um, from the uh, All-Star. Three open drivers will advance to the All-Star race. The two top race finishers, as well as Sharon talked about the fan vote winner. When we look at the uh, All-Star format, the technical rules for the cars remain the same as any other NASCAR Cup Series short track races. The race will be 200 laps or 125 miles. The competition break will be at or around lap 100, which will be halfway. Again, all laps, uh, caution and green, will count. And the NASCAR overtime rules are in effect here, which means unlimited attempts. Each team will start on sticker tires for the all-star race and have three additional sets to use. Now, here's where it's interesting. After the competition break, only one additional set of sticker tires can be used. They'll have to make the choice of when they want to put those on. And the all-star winner earns over $1 million in prize money. Wow. Uh, now, we want to look at who's locked into the main event. Uh, heading into this weekend at North Wilkesboro, 21 different drivers have earned their spot into the all-star race on Sunday. Uh, all-star eligibility for this year are uh, the NASCAR All-Star Race include drivers who won a points event either in 22 or 23, drivers who won a NASCAR All-Star Race and compete full-time, and drivers who won a NASCAR Cup Series Championship and compete full-time. So going down the list here, uh, car entry one is Ross Chastain from Trackhouse Racing. He'll have Phil Surgeon uh, on the pit box for his Chevrolet. Austin Sendrick in the number two for Team Penske. Jeremy Bolins, the crew chief. Uh, again, they're racing Ford. Uh, driver number uh, three uh, is Austin Dillon from Richard Childress Racing. Keith Rodden on top of the pit box for his Chevrolet. Kevin Harvick drives the number four for Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, and Rod Ford and Rodney Childress is on top of the pit box there. Kyle Larson driving the number five. For Hendrick Motorsports, Cliff Daniels on top of the pit box for his Chevrolet. And the number six is Brad Kozlowski for RFK Racing. Matt McCall is the crew chief for his Ford. Kyle Busch uh, driving the number eight for Richard Childress Racing. Randall Burnett is his crew chief for Chevrolet. And then in the number nine is Chase Elliott for Hendrick Motorsports. and his Chevrolet will be crewed by Alan Gustafson as the crew chief. Number 11 is uh, behind the wheel is Danny Hamlin for Joe Gibbs Racing. Chris Hart, Gabe Hart, the crew chief for the, their Toyota. Ryan Blaney driving the number 12 for Tim Pinsky. Jonathan Hassler uh, is the crew chief for his Ford. Also driving a Ford with John Fossmeyer as the crew chief for Stuart Haas Racing. Chase Bristol's number 14, the 17 driven by Chris Busher for RFK Racing, will have Scott Graves on top of the pit box for his board. 
uh, Martin Truex Jr. driving his uh, number 19 Toyota uh, will have James Small on top of the fifth box. Christopher Bell behind the familiar number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing. We'll have Adam Stevens uh, as the pit crew uh, boss and for his Toyota. Joey Logano driving the number 22 Team Penske with Paul Wolf on top of the pit box for his Ford. Driving a Toyota uh, with Booty Barker as his crew chief is Bubba Wallace driving the number 23 for 2311 Racing. William Byron is behind the wheel of the 24 for Hendrick Motorsports. Rudy Fugel, the crew chief for his Chevrolet. Eric Jones driving the uh, familiar number 43 Legacy Motor Club uh, Chevrolet with David Elans as the crew chief. Driving a Toyota with Billy Scott as the crew chief for 2311 Racing is Tyler Reddick behind the wheel of the number 45. And Ricky Stenhouse is driving the number 47 for JPG Doherty Racing. Michael Kelly on top of the pit box for his Chevrolet. And also driving a Chevrolet with Travis Mack as the crew chief is Daniel Suarez from Trackhouse Racing, driving the number 99. Of the 21 drivers already entered in the All-Star Race, seven have previously scored wins in the annual exhibition race. Kevin Harvick in 2007 and 18, Kyle Larson in 19 and 21, with two All-Star victories each. Team Penske's Ryan Blaney is the most recent All-Star race winner. He brought home a victory from Texas just last season. In total, 24 drivers will make the start in this season's All-Star race, 25 drivers that earn the spot in the event, and three additional spots that will be added following the All-Star Open. Uh, That would include the All-Star Open winner, the All-Star Open runner-up, and, of course, that fan vote winner as well. So, uh, Jay, you want to take the last uh, Back to the Roots update here to close this up? All right. Well, I'm going to – yeah, and I'm going to start – whoops. Start at who's in it, and then we'll go from there as far as what time we got. But going through the ones that are in the Open – the number seven Chevrolet oh. is Corey the Joy from Spire oh. Motorsports. With Ru- you want me to, okay, you want me go, to go through the rest of it first? Yeah, I was just going to make sure we got who's in the open. Um, yeah. Ryan Sparks is the crew chief there. Eric Almarola in the number 10 Ford for Stuart Haas Racing. Drew Blickensturf, the crew chief. Eddie Pardue, crew chief in the number 13 Chevrolet of Chandler Smith for College Racing. J.J. Yaley in the number 15 for Rick Ware Racing Ford. Billy Porter as the crew chief. A.J. Allmendinger from College Racing in the number 16 with Matt Sudersky, crew chief from the Chevrolet. The 21, Harrison Burton driving for Wood Brothers Racing. Brian Wilson's his crew chief of that Ford. In the number 31, Chevrolet is Justin Haley from College Racing. Trent Owens listed as the crew chief. Um, Michael McDowell in the number 34 for Front Row Motorsports Ford. Travis Peterson is the crew chief. The other Front Row Motorsports is the number 38 of Todd Gillen with Ryan Bergentree. Uh, The 41, that's Ryan Preet for Stuart Haas Racing with Chad Johnston calling the shots for that Ford. Noah Gregson with Legacy Motor Club 
Luke Lambert, the crew chief in that number, 42 Chevrolet. Uh, Josh Berry is going to be in the number 48, Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. Blake Harris as the crew chief. Ryan Newman getting a start with uh, Rick Ware Racing. Jerry Kelly calling the shots for that number 51 Ford. Number 54 is Ty Gibbs for Joe Gibbs Racing. Chris Gale is the crew chief of that Toyota. Another Spire Motorsports entry. 77 Chevrolet is Ty Dillon with Kevin Belcourt as the crew chief. And the final one is the 78 Josh Balicki driving a Chevrolet for Live Fast Motorsports with David Ingram as the crew chief. And we got one minute left. Uh, going to see if there are any highlights to go over from this. Um, the All-Star Open was introduced back in May 11th of 1986 when they raced at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, I didn't know this. That event was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Benny Parsons, but it did not grant him into the entry into the All-Star Race. That only started the following season. So there's a lot more information there you can check out though, on the uh, history of the All-Star Open. Um, some interesting things there, I will say. Yes, there this is uh, something that I think a lot of fans look forward to every year. Uh, that all-star race uh, at North Wilkesboro Speedway will be this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 7 p.m. Eastern. Radio coverage available on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Again, they are racing a distance of 125 miles over 200 laps. Uh, this weekend and we are at the top of the hour that means it's time for nascar hot topic sound off i believe joining us for tonight is going to be uh andy lasky as well as tommy craft uh neither one of them are here just yet but we will look forward to uh seeing them here shortly um and we've got a lot of hot topics to cover here tonight jay uh let me get my notebook here so I can keep track. Okay, here's, uh, I believe this is Tommy. I'm bringing him into the queue. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, how are y'all? Looking forward to our Hot topic segment here. And then uh, joining us shortly will be Andy. But why don't you go ahead and give us our first Hot Topic of the night, Tommy. Uh, let's go with, let's see. Well, let's just go with uh, North Wilkesboro. I'm looking at um, something Mike posted about a Mark Martin and Michael McDowell uh, throwback paint scheme. So let's just start off with North Wilkesboro and the paint schemes. Okay. Let me see if Andy's here real quick. No, Andy is not here. So, Jay, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us your thoughts? Well, I know Mike put this up uh, following our discussion on Monday night of whether or not the throwback paint scheme had run its course as far as Darlington. Obviously, with North Wilkesboro being the site of the All-Star Race, the 75th anniversary um, of NASCAR, which I didn't realize that paralleled up. I don't know if that was intentional or coincidental, but... There's going to be some throwback things. I mean, it's tough not to be in that. We're going back to a historic track like North Wilkesboro. Um, we've seen a couple of throwback schemes before Darlington. We saw a couple after. I don't think this takes away from the actual throwback weekend of 
Darlington, nor do I want it to or think it should. But to see some of that here at North Wilkesboro, I think is cool, especially one like this of Mark Martin. Um, so, like I said, we may see a, see a couple others, and it might be that, hey, they had more than one they wanted to do this year. So I don't see an issue with it. I, I still don't think it detracts from or should take away from the actual throwback weekend of Darlington. But I think we're going to see a lot of that. We see that a lot with, we went through the list of dignitaries that are coming in for this all-star race and, and others that are going to be in attendance, whether they're a dignitary or have an official role in it or not. You're going to see a lot of history there at North Wilkesboro. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm a little confused here. Are you talking about the one that talks about moving it from uh, the throwback weekend, moving it from uh, Darlington to North Wilkesboro? Well, I didn't realize he had two se- separate ones set up. That, that was kind of what Mike felt was that if, if this remains permanent, that it should move from Darlington and their weekend to North Wilkesboro. I think, like I said, it was kind of a, a follow-up to what he felt from Monday night. Okay. Is that the one you were talking about, uh, Tommy? Oh, I was just – it was the Mark Martin throwback with Michael McDowell and talking about the paint scheme to North okay. Wilkesboro. Yeah, I was just going with okay. that one. Okay. Uh, Andy is here now. Welcome to the show. Uh, you want to give us your thoughts about that? Hey, Sharon, how you doing tonight? Um, yeah, so I I see the paint scheme, and it, it looks really cool, you know, and it's really kind of to echo what Jay said, you know, it's not totally surprising to see this. Um, it is the 75th anniversary of NASCAR, and I think with that you will see um, historic paint schemes probably multiple times throughout the season at various races from various teams and drivers. Um, to celebrate the history of NASCAR. And this has been becoming a little bit more and more of a thing. It used to be that you'd only see the throwback schemes at Darlington for a throwback weekend. And now you'll start to see them sporadically spread out throughout the year. So I think when you look at the significance of NASCAR's return to North Wilkesboro, it actually makes sense for some of these, these teams to run historic paint schemes. I think it's pretty cool. Um, and then also, you know, I think in some cases the um, the schemes for this weekend are almost better than than the in in some cases what the, a team may have run last weekend. I'll use Kevin Harvick as an example. Their team last weekend ran a throwback scheme that quite honestly didn't look like a throwback scheme unless you told me it was. Whereas this weekend they're running a car that you know takes us straight back to that first career win in 2001, which is awesome. It looks really good. So, um, yeah, no, I think that, you know, I don't necessarily know that this detracts from Darlington per se, you know, specifically throwback weekend. But I I think just given, you know, the fact that we're going back to a historic venue on the 75th anniversary of the sport, then, then, yeah, you know, you'll, you'll see these kinds of um, things happen throughout the year, which is awesome. I like seeing throwback paint schemes, you know, and I think it's, it's cool, especially, when you look at Harvick's retirement season, the fact that he's going to run that white and red 29 this weekend is, is pretty cool. It's, you know, certainly a, a true throwback to, to when his career got started. So pretty awesome stuff. 
Yeah, I I agree with you guys. This is not all that surprising, uh, given that it is NASCAR's 75th anniversary. uh, And uh, it makes sense to drive a throwback scheme at a track like North Wilkesboro, where we had the all-star race. If you remember years ago, uh, and that's not that many years ago, uh, people used to drive uh, special paint schemes at the all-star race. They kind of got away from that, uh, but this is kind of a throwback to that as well, running a special paint scheme at the all-star race and for the showdown. So uh, I think it's great, uh, especially given the 75th anniversary, and uh, it's always a lot of fun. Uh, Drivers will run the throwback schemes, but I agree with uh, both Jay and Mike, or I'm sorry, Jay and Andy, uh, that uh, we're probably likely to see this uh, at more than just this racetrack. Uh, We'll see it throughout the year uh, as they continue to celebrate that anniversary of 75 years with NASCAR. Uh, There's going to be different tracks. They're going to have special meanings to specific drivers, and they're going to want to drive uh, some type of a throwback scheme uh, to commemorate that during the 75th anniversary. So um, uh, I think I think it's good. Uh, would I like to see them maybe move uh, the throwback uh, to North Wilkesboro instead of Darlington? I'm going to say not necessarily. Uh, I think that it's, uh, that it's appropriate at both of those tracks. So Darlington's uh, Martinsville is also one of the longest reigning tracks on the NASCAR schedule. So why not throw uh, run those throwback schemes at, at those types of tracks? Uh, so I'm I'm liking it. I like the throwback schemes anytime they want to run them. So it doesn't matter to me whether it's here or at any other track on the circuit. Tommy, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm just glad it's North Wilkesboro weekend, and I'm fine with them running a uh, throwback paint scheme every weekend, um, honestly. Uh, What you just said, though, um, about how they used to run, you know, special paint schemes for All-Star Race, yeah, I remember that now. Um, Like that number three car that Earnhardt used to, or that Earnhardt drove in, like, 2000, that multicolored one. I think Jeff Gordon did, like, a, a... different rainbow paint scheme for one of the all-star races or maybe he brought back the rainbows the rainbow paint scheme after he made the switch to flames so i mean i I do remember those and i I, personally i love the throwback paint schemes and i agree with andy too kevin harvick's paint scheme last weekend was kind of lousy it didn't even look close to the aol car and apparently that's what it was supposed to be a throwback to but AOL was never orange. It was blue and yellow, and that paint scheme was like orange and green. I don't know. Just this week's he got the throwback paint scheme right this weekend. I will agree with that. That red twenty nine looks good. It's not good wrench. It's bush, but it's the number at least, and it's white and red like his Atlanta win. So, um, ah, but yeah, I'm fine with him running the throwback paint scheme every weekend. Um. No, I love seeing them. I mean, there's still so many that could be could be ran, and um, I like it at Darlington too because it's been kind of like a tradition the last 
how many every year it's been running now to throw it back to that. But they definitely do, I think, need to run special special paint schemes in the all-star race like they used to. I think they've gone away from that, and they definitely need to bring it back. And I, I'm just ready for this weekend. I can't wait for the trucks to get on the track on Saturday and for the um, cup guys on Sunday night. I mean, North Wilkesboro's back. And something tells me that it's going to do really good this year and that they'll be back there next year, which is awesome. And um, can't wait to see the rest of the paint schemes. I did see one on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not because, you know, it could have been fan-made, but it looked like the Kyle Larson throwback was going to be uh, Terry Labonte Chrome Car, which I believe won at North Wilkesboro. I don't remember what year. I might not even have been alive, but I've seen it. So that would be a cool throwback if it's true. I don't know if it's true or not, but, I mean, he runs a throwback paint scheme every weekend, uh, the Ricky Hendrick, Brian Vickers, 5 GM, uh, GMAC or whatever it was back then. So, um, yeah, just can't wait. And can't, I keep on bringing the paint schemes, even if it's a throwback or unique or whatever. I just love seeing different paint schemes. Okay, your follow-up. Well, I'd say that you and uh, you and Tommy are taking a look at my notes, except I know they're in my head, so that's not possible. But I think you hit on the key <laughs> thing there of it. the old school all-star race used to have special paint schemes, not necessarily throwback, but the special or unique paint schemes for that weekend. The fact that this year they're at North Wilkesboro, I know we just came off the actual throwback weekend, but what better time to do some and I don't know, Tommy, I wish I could answer that if, if that's a true uh, paint scheme or not for Kyle Larson and Terry Labonte. But there again, the history of North Wilkesboro, um, we may or may not get to see it again. We don't know. So what not better opportunity throughout this year of the 75th anniversary of NASCAR to do some different ones. And I know some fans uh, didn't care for some of the way some of the schemes were done you got to remember, there's a lot that goes into it. The new sponsor, whoever it be, not wanting to give up their spot and list another sponsor that may or may not even be in the sport anymore. So they do the best they can. I know that AOL car, and you mentioned that one specifically, I think this is the reason that one was so different was because that was what Kevin Harvick was supposed to come into the Cup Series with. He never did because he ended up taking over Dale Earnhardt's car. When, and I'm trying to think who got that sponsorship in the following years, I think the paints, okay, there we go. I think the paint scheme had changed. So the one that Kevin Harvick was throwing, they were throwing back to with Kevin Harvick never actually came to fruition because Harvick moved on and they changed it up when they got it to Jeff Burton. So that one was unique was it had never actually even been on the track. It was designed and planned, but not executed. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I don't know if everybody was aware of that. I wasn't until I read it. So just to be clear on that, I had to read it about it beforehand. Um, but overall, like I said, I, I don't think it needs to take the place of the throwback weekend at Darlington. This year specifically doing some at North Wilkesboro, I think just adds to this all-star event. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, specifically about the Harvard car, and my biggest complaint about it is the is the color. It was never supposed to be green and orange. It was always yellow and blue. Um, the only thing that was 
the same about that scheme that Harvick ran was the um, the graphic like outline and the wavy patterns on the sides, you know, and the striping. <laughs> but they, everything else about it was completely different, and that's you know that's kind of I think in you know some of the gripe that we have sometimes is that. You know, if you're going to do a throwback, at least make it look like a throwback. Like in this case, it didn't look anything like the original car except for the stripe pattern. Um, but the colors were different. Number was different. Everything was different, obviously. So, um, yeah, Harvick's AOL car was never green and orange. It was blue and yellow. Like basically the scheme that they ran uh, really for the first couple of years, um, I think Jeff Green drove that car in 01 and again in 02. Um, that was really the car that Harvick was going to drive and then obviously didn't. So um, that's the discrepancy there that Tommy was referencing. Um, But as far as um, the topic at hand about the throwbacks, you know, yeah, I think it's cool. Um, There probably is more that we don't even know about this weekend. So looking forward to it. And I think the whole, the whole race weekend in itself is a throwback, you know, going to North Wilkesboro, a track that I've never seen racing at, um, they stopped racing there several years before I started watching the sport. So looking forward to that. Um, it's all worn out and slick. Everyone seems to think it's going to put on a really good show. I hope it does. And for that reason, I'm excited for this weekend. Yeah, you and me too, um, Andy. Uh, I'm going to use my time here, my uh, follow-up time, uh, to kind of mention what Mike had to say about this. Again, he is at North Wilkesboro this weekend, which is why he's not on the show tonight. Uh, But he says uh, in this post, I hope this catches on, especially for subsequent years if they go back to North Wilkesboro. Just like how the teams organically created the original throwback weekend on their own, they can organically move it to North Wilkesboro by simply choosing not to participate at Darlington and doing it at North Wilkesboro instead. Um, you know, Mike's, Mike is kind of uh, advocating for them to do the throwback weekend at North Wilkesboro instead of Darlington, uh, but I have to go back to what I originally said. I think any time they do a throwback uh, car at any track, it doesn't matter. It, we'd love to see it at any point that they choose to to drive a throwback car at the racetrack. So I don't think they have to discontinue it at Darlington. I think adding North Wilkesboro is is uh, really a good thing, especially during this particular season. Uh, but um, uh, like you said, I think we'll probably see more than just this one that we're talking about. There'll be others that'll be at that racetrack this weekend as well. So be on the lookout for uh, some special uh, throwback schemes at North Wilkesboro. Uh, Tommy, you get the last word. Yeah, I hope there are some uh, hidden ones that um, haven't been released yet for uh, Saturday and Sunday. Because if that Kyle Larson, Terry Labonte one is true, I'd, I'd love to see that. And also, like Andy, I mean, he said he wasn't watching the sport back then when they were at North Wilkesboro. I wasn't even alive yet, so I'm really ready to see it. Um, well, actually, I was alive. I was one year old when they stopped uh, racing at North Wilkesboro. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, another race in North Carolina, that's, I'm living North Carolina. I don't 
live close to Charlotte or North Wilkesboro, that's a good three or four hour drive. Like I'm honestly closer to Darlington and Richmond than I am uh, Charlotte and North Wilkesboro, but um, still, still ready to, uh, still ready to watch it though. Um, I wish I would have gotten tickets, but I think it was pretty much sold out the truck race and the the cup race, but uh, I'm ready, but I have a lot of paint schemes that still, like I could just name a lot that I won't see again, specifically the number 10 Scott Riggs, Nesquik car, any Todd paint scheme, whether it's Ricky Rudd or Ricky Craven, um, the Casey Kane Mopar, Barb Wire, uh, Terry Labonte, Kellogg's, or Frosty Flakes, um, the Johnny Benson Xerox, that would be a good one. Um, I know Corey LaJoy ran the number seven Xerox last year at Darlington, but have, I want to see the Johnny Benson one. Uh, Mark Martin always had some good paint schemes. Um, any Jeff Gordon paint scheme, I mean, there's still a few out there that they haven't ran of his yet. Um, yeah, I just love it. I love it when they do the throwback uh, paint schemes and – I'm all for them going to the all-star race moving forward with, you know, bringing back the unique, the unique paint schemes, even if it is a throwback paint scheme. Okay, I love it. All right, Andy, uh, you want to bring up our next hot topic? Yeah, pretty excited about this one, too. Uh, Jordan Taylor will drive an Xfinity race at Portland uh, later in June. Yeah, that's pretty pretty exciting. Jay, your thoughts about about uh, Jordan Taylor. Yeah, most certainly. I know we were excited when he got to drive the number nine Chevrolet for Chase Elliott, again, being in top two equipment. When it comes to the Xfinity Series, this number 10 for college racing, uh, I think the streak was broken, but even through the rotation of drivers, it was finishing in the top 10 every week. So great place for Jordan Taylor. We've heard him mention it, that he does want to do a little bit more uh, on the NASCAR side, uh, we read in our preview that it was the first oval track he had done uh, in the Cars Tour, one of the late model races. So I am really looking forward to it. And obviously, uh, the fact that it falls into his forte of road course racing, uh, look for that, that number 10 uh, college racing Chevrolet to be at the front of the pack, especially now that he knows how aggressive oval track or uh, stock car drivers can be, I think is how he put it. Uh, he didn't realize the amount of aggression that they would use, and he wasn't prepared for that. So now he's prepared. Okay. Uh, Tommy. Yeah, he was running good at Coda. I think he got caught up in some of the late – one of the late mini restarts that Coda had, and he kind of ended up like 25th or 30th, somewhere in that area. But it, I, from what I remember in the race, he had worked his way – into the top 20, top 15, I think. I don't remember exactly where he was at. But, you know, he was doing all right. And I think he'll definitely do better in the Xfinity Series. um, Because, you know, anybody in the cup level, one through 30, has a good chance of winning, in my opinion. Um, Especially at a road course or, you know, I mean, you can put a road course ringer in like the track house running one car, and he he might could win the race depending on who it is and where they're at and the circumstances. So now he's going to be in the Xfinity Series, and there's not going to be as many 
guys that can run in the top 20, in my opinion. Because, you know, some of these Xfinity cars aren't, once you get 20 to, like, 36, they're not as competitive as the other cars. But um, I think his chances are better in the Xfinity series than they are in the cup level. Um, so, and then, you know, he'll be in good equipment with Collins and A.J. Allman, you know, A.J. Allmendinger was a great road course racer for them and won a bunch of races. So I'm sure he'll be there to help Jordan out, which I know Jordan's already a, isn't he like an IMSA driver? So I'm sure he's seen his fair share of road courses. So I'm sure he'll do fine. And uh, I know he's a Twitter personality, and I know he ran a throwback week, uh, throwback uh, to Jeff Gordon last night, the rainbow car. So he's, he's got my vote um, already. Yes. A lot of people may not realize is that Rodney Sandstorm, again, uh, uh, the alter ego of uh, Jordan Taylor, uh, ran at North Wilkesboro earlier this week in the Cars Tour, uh, driving uh, uh, under the name of Rodney Sandstorm. Uh, So... Uh, again, it's going to be fun to see him racing at Portland for college racing in the number 10. Uh, but uh, he's having a lot of fun with this. And uh, I think anytime he can get behind the wheel of one of these stock cars, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun for Jordan Taylor. And I do think, I agree with you guys, I think he's going to be uh, better uh, this time around in that car, in, in the Xfinity Series car, than he was in the uh, uh, Cup Series car at Coda. He he wasn't bad in the Cup Series car at Coda. I thought he did a really, really good job. I just think that uh, this will be a chance for us to really see his skills on the racetrack as a road course racer out at Portland. Uh, but uh, it, uh, it was his first oval start in a stock car, uh, at uh, North Wilkesboro earlier this week in the uh, Cars Touring Series. So uh, really cool to see him uh, dabbling in the stock car world. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm excited about this just because it's, it's nice to see Jordan get another opportunity in NASCAR. And, you know, I feel like, you know, when he did that race for Chase Elliott at, at Coda, you know, it's pretty tough to jump in the deep end of the pool, if you will, into a cup race, you know, and, and be expected to contend for a win in your first career start. Like, that just isn't feasible. I think we all expected him to do well, and I think that he was doing pretty well. But, of course, we had all those late race restarts, which are complete bedlam, and, you know, it led to the finish that he got. But I think that he did a respectable job in that race you know, a cup race at that. So, you know, I mm-hmm. almost feel like taking taking a step back into an Xfinity race, um, you know, and uh, and I do see the time, by the way. I'll be done in just a minute or two here. But um, I think taking a step back into an Xfinity race um, may be a good opportunity to run even better, maybe contend for that win or maybe get a top five and just get more experience. So, I would expect him to be very good. We know how good he is on road courses. He's he's known for that. He's had a lot of success in IMSA on the road courses and in sports cars. And so um, 
ultimately, I, I think this is a great opportunity for him to go out there and run really well. And, and I hope that we do continue to see more of a presence from him in NASCAR. And with that, Sharon, I know that it is that time, so I'll hand it to you. Okay, thank you, Andy. Uh, we are coming up uh, to the time that we're going to go off the air, which is 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. We go up the air at exactly that time. But even though we are no longer able to be heard, we are going to be able to record the rest of our conversation, and that part is on our podcast as part of our bonus overtime material. So if you've listened up to this point, I will be going out on Twitter as well as Facebook to let you know when the podcast is available. And at that point or at any point uh, that is at your convenience, you can go to our player at com and just fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation. So I didn't want to take – get anyone caught off guard if they're listening for the first time and not know uh, how they can listen to the rest of our conversation uh, without the announcement. So uh, this way there will be no surprises and uh, we can continue on with the conversation here. Um, Jay, what's your follow-up? Well, I think it's a great thing uh, on so many levels. Uh, obviously a well-known star when it comes to road course racing, the IMSA WeatherTech uh, series. We've seen him come into the Cup Series and the opportunity he has with college racing. So the crossover uh, fan base is one thing. The second would be the, the, the personality that he brings. Uh, you mentioned it, the, in a, what is it, Rodney Sandstorm, the, the <laughs> alter ego that he does. Uh, you know, I mean, just that energy that he brings um, of having a good time and enjoying himself, I think is a huge thing. The only thing I'd be cautious about, we, we've talked about how good he could do, especially going into the Xfinity series, but the more I thought about it as you guys were talking, I don't know if the aggression level is going to be any less with some younger stars in the Xfinity series. So <laughs> we'll have to see how that plays out. Okay, Tommy, your follow-up. Yeah, just didn't really factor that in. I thought I forgot about that. That the Xfinity guys and Truck Series guys they tend to uh, wreck wreck just as much as the uh, Cup Series guys on those late restarts. So they'll still be aggressive, but overall his chances are probably still better to win a race or get a top five in Xfinity than they are in Cup. So um, yeah, you know he's. He's getting a lot of opportunities this year, so um, maybe he'll get a part-time gig or something next year if he performs well. Um, I don't know how he did in the race in North Wilkesboro last night. I just know he was running an awesome rainbow car like Jeff Gordon. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's got a he's got the personality, and um, if he's in a calling car at a, a road course, I think he'll do pretty good. So I'm. I'm sure he'll probably get definitely a top 10, I feel like, if he's not wrecked um, by somebody else or caught up in somebody else's mess. But um, either way, uh, I'm excited to see what he'll do in Portland. Yeah, I I like Jordan Taylor. I followed him in the IMSA series for 
several years now, and I'm excited that he is uh, reaching beyond that. Uh, at the same time that he's continuing to race in IMSA, by the way, um, and he credits uh, Chase Elliott for getting him excited about uh, stock car racing. And so uh, I'm not sure what his finish was either at uh, in that Cars Tour. Uh, I can look it up here if I give myself a minute or two. But uh, he was 20th. Uh, I will. He finished 20th? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so under Randy, um, Rodney Sandstorm or under Taylor Green? Or Taylor Green. Under um, Jordan Taylor. Okay, I'm I'm Uh, not sure which uh, it is. It was in the pro the pro late model race, and it was Rodney Sandstorm in the one car. Okay, yeah, I think that's – see, that talks about his personality for sure. He likes to have fun. Um, if you follow him on Twitter, you will see him having a good time all the time and just enjoying uh, what he's doing as a race car driver and sharing that uh, with others on social media. So uh, he just has a great personality. Uh, I think Portland will be a good race for him in the Xfinity Series. He's going to have some uh, tough competitors, uh, without a doubt. But uh, I think Jordan Taylor will uh, hold his own in that Xfinity Series race at Portland. So I'm looking forward to it. Andy, you get the last word here. Yeah, you know, and I certainly can't argue the fact the aggression level is going to be high. It typically is in the Xfinity series as well. I'm just hopeful that, um, you know, with his experience level in an Xfinity car that he can shine. Um, it's no, it's no secret that cup drivers are in the cup series for a reason because they're so versatile and so good everywhere. And I feel like more than half the field is really good at road course racing. Um, and, and that's, you know, I think has to factor into why, Jordan wasn't able to run better than he did, which I I should say that for a first career start in NASCAR being a cup series race, he did pretty good, you know, and and certainly I think if he ran the series more often, he'd run even better and and contend for those wins, especially on road courses. But, um, you know, obviously I felt like he got thrown to the wolves a bit, whereas to, to jump in in an Xfinity car, I think gives him, a better chance and that's not to slight anybody that races in the Xfinity series, but I think that he has a better chance to run even better in this race than he did in the cup race. And and that's, you know, certainly the hope anyway, I think that, you know, bringing somebody in like that can, can help continue the the 10 car for colleague being competitive. And, um, you know, certainly, um, I'm excited about it. I think that he'll have a good chance. He's certainly with a good team, and, and hopefully he can um, improve upon his uh, first start at COTA. Uh, Jay, you get the next top topic here. All right. I, I don't know if you want to do this as two separate ones. Uh, having to do with penalties, we had the Cup Series penalty of Tyler Reddick, uh, 10 points taken away for uh non-attached ballast, if I recall correctly. I'm trying to pull it up. Um, but then also one of yeah. the truck series. Did you want to do it as two different ones? 
Okay, let, let's start then with the Tyler Reddick uh, from the Cup Series. Uh, penalized 10 points for the ballast not secured inside the ballast container, which came from Darlington. There was an issue in tech that got crew chief Billy Scott ejected. Okay, uh, no fines nor suspension. Okay, so Tommy, your thoughts. I feel like we hadn't seen one of those in a while. Um, I remember like a few years ago when the the ballast would like come out of the car and hit another car. I mean, those things weigh a lot. So, I mean, it's a kind of a big deal um, for them to, you know, to not be in there properly because they can go flying out and do some serious damage So because of how much they weigh. Um so all the penalty was there was uh, the crew chief crew chief getting ejected. I mean, that's not really much of a, a penalty nowadays because the crew, key, crew chief can just go home and text and call the guy that is sitting on the pit box and still call the shots. Um, Tyler Reddick did have a cool throwback paint scheme last week, the Kurt Busch, um, the Sharpie car that lost to the tied Ricky Craven car. Never forget that race. Um, I do actually remember watching that, but um, yeah, I, I don't really have have too much to say besides I remember a few years ago when the ballast would go flying out of the car and onto the track, and I mean those things weigh a lot, so that's a big deal. So maybe um, I guess the suspension fits, or not the suspension, the crew chief getting ejected fits for that, but um, you know. Maybe it won't happen again. Oh, your thoughts? Yeah, it's um obviously unfortunate that this happened, but you know, unfortunately, having ballast that's not secured properly is a penalty. So, um, I felt like NASCAR had to do what it did in ejecting Billy Scott from the track, and you know, I feel like they were pretty fair in this penalty. It wasn't too severe, nor was it too lenient. He was ejected for the weekend. And to Tommy's point, you know, yeah, obviously I'm sure he was still heavily involved with the team some other way, but they did lose points. They lost 10 points and, you know, you, you never, you never know if those 10 points will come in, would have come in handy down the road somewhere. So uh, there was a points penalty, which in my mind, um, Anytime you lose points, that's more of a penalty than any fine or suspension. Um, so I, I think that the penalty fit the crime. Thankfully, it wasn't a, a matter of the ballast coming off on the racetrack. That's far more severe, I think, than what happened in their case. And uh, ultimately, you know, they'll move on from it this weekend. But I think the penalty fit the crime, and, and what was done was the proper thing to do. Yeah, you make a really good point, uh, Andy, that the ballast did not come out of the car on the racetrack. Uh, the the potential was there for something serious to happen, uh, but it didn't. So I do feel like the penalty uh, meets the crime. Uh, Ten points uh, for not securing the ballast inside the ballast container at Darlington, Um and Billy Billy Scott uh, ejected and removed from the track. Um, I, I got to wonder, two things I think might be happening. One is that 
uh, it sounds to me maybe, I could be wrong, but they might be getting away from suspending the crew chief for all the reasons that we've talked about so many times. Uh, It's like a pointless penalty uh, to remove the crew chief uh, from the race weekend or suspend them for multiple races because they just sit in their race control center and still communicate with the team at the track uh, as if they were sitting on top of the pit box. They're seeing exactly the same thing that they would see or do at the racetrack. They're just doing it uh, from a remote location. Um, So that seems like a meaningless uh, part of the penalty. but there was no fines on this one either. Again, I still think it fits uh, the situation, given that the ballast uh, didn't come off. Um, but uh, uh, the other thing that I think NASCAR is trying to do is to address some of these issues right away and not wait until they get it back to the R&D Center or whatever. Uh, they're trying to address the situations that they're finding at the track. They're addressing those situations at the track. So I like that part of it, and uh, I hope it continues. Um, If if there's a second offense, I think there needs to be more points taken away. But since this is the first offense, 10 points does seem appropriate. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I kind of lean the other way of maybe it wasn't severe enough. And the first thing I look at is throughout the weekend, they were talking about this, that the car had failed pre-race tech twice, which said NASCAR has the discretion to suspend a crew member, um, to remove a crew member. And they have gone to typically it being the car chief or whoever. They very specifically did this on this particular case, go after the crew chief. Um, And a lot of the, the reports were saying there could be a hefty penalty coming, although we didn't know why yet. When found out why, as far as it being the ballast, I think that is a huge one. Tommy mentioned it. If you've seen one of these come out, most of the time I'd say they're 50-pound bricks. Um, They may be a little less depending on where they have them. But if that comes out during the race or under race conditions, it's extremely dangerous. Now, had the penalty been different, had it come off during the race, then prior to being that they did catch it ahead of time, I, I don't know. Um, And I'm also kind of comparing to the other penalty we were talking about, which was a 25-point penalty. I thought the penalty might be a little bit stiffer because it is such a huge safety factor. But NASCAR fortunately did catch it before anything happened, so that may be why it was a little less. I I don't know that for sure. Um, And I don't want to find out by having one come off during a race and then uh, show that they will escalate it if it happens during. But that, too, of... Just as we mentioned when it goes back to the louvers, which were found prior to the race, it was still a pretty hefty penalty because if NASCAR hadn't caught it, they would have raced with it that way. Same thing here. Mm-hmm. So it, to me, why is it NASCAR's responsibility to save these team points or whatever? I, I think the points could have been a little bit more. Tommy, your thoughts? Yeah, the penalty definitely would have been more if it would have came off during the race because um, it can cause some serious damage for how much it weighs. But, um, you know, I, the crew chief getting ejected, I think, is is a good start. Um, I don't know if they need to do anything more because they caught it in pet, uh, like, before it even hit the track. So if it would have came off 
during the race or while he was out there on the track, whether it be in practice or qualified or something, then definitely I would have made the penalty harsher, and I'm sure NASCAR would have. But, um, yeah, I don't really have too much to add there besides, um, you know, be more careful because you definitely don't want that coming off during the race and hitting another car and ruining somebody's day and causing, you know, a, a potentially bigger wreck or, you know, something like that. So. Okay. Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, not much to add to this one either. I think that, you know, the penalty certainly fit the scenario at hand here and, and um, you know, hopefully they learned whatever mistake they made and, and it won't happen again. Bad either. Uh, I just think that they did the right thing in this case. Could it have been a little bit more? Yeah, it could have been. Um, but uh, uh, I think, again, if there's a second offense, it will be more points that they would take away, and they might do more as far as fines or suspension if there's a second offense. But on a first offense, I think this is this is appropriate. Um, Jay, any follow-up from you? I still lean a little bit more just the fact that it was a safety issue, and, and to me a huge one of, of having been around dirt tracks where I've seen it as well as, unfortunately, a couple at the top level of NASCAR, especially at those speeds, even more so dangerous. I really thought that that, that might have been escalated a little. Now, like you said, Sharon, of, okay, a second offense or a repeat um, that it gets escalated. And I would certainly hope that it were, if it were to have happened on the track, but it, to me at that point, it's too late, um, you know, because um, the damage is done. You can't undo that. Um, but I do think it would be a lot heftier had it happened during the race. We'll have to see as they move forward. And again, I am glad they caught it because it is such a huge safety thing. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and move on to our next hot topic then. And uh, Tommy, we're back to you. Do you want to go to the other penalty? Sure. Yeah. Let's go with the, uh, the truck penalties this weekend. Okay. Uh, so, Andy, you're first up here. This was an interesting one, and, and Jay, I saw the discussion that you and Mike had uh, this afternoon about that. Uh, specifically, four teams were penalized for having expired window nets. I agree with the, the penalty, um, and I'd have to look exactly what the penalty was. Um, but, you know, certainly I, I can totally see why NASCAR would frown upon that. Anytime you have expired equipment, especially safety equipment like a window net on your vehicle, um, you know, you, you can't have that. So I don't I don't really blame – I don't blame the penalty. Um, I'd be curious to know more about this scenario, though, because, you know, were they – penalized when this was caught in tech leading into a race weekend it sounded like it was from kansas a couple weeks ago i guess not darlington and you know you have to wonder was this was this a post-race penalty or was this a pre-race penalty um you would think that something like an expired window net probably would be caught in pre-race um so maybe this is just residual from you know, what NASCAR found in pre-race inspection. I'm not sure. So I'd be curious to know more about 
what took place here, you know, but nonetheless, at, at the end of the day, I think, you know, showing up to the racetrack with expired equipment, especially on the safety side of things is, is, is frowned upon. And, and I think that, you know, the penalty was warranted and, you know, this is certainly something that, you know, NASCAR wants to ensure it doesn't become a common theme. The question, two of these, uh, the number 47 and 146 were from Darlington. The number 12 and the number 20 were from Kansas. So it's two different tracks uh, where these penalties uh, came from. And the uh, actual penalty is the crew chief was fined 5000 uh, and team and driver were assessed with the loss of 25 points. So just to make sure everybody uh, knows all of that, that's, that's the way it goes. So, Jay, your thoughts? Well, as Mike and I discussed, there are a lot of oddities here um, when it comes to that, and we don't know whether or not this was found in pre-race tech or after the race. As Andy mentioned, um, that's what kind of makes this one a curious thing, as well as the fact that two of them came from Kansas, which was uh, they raced back on the 6th of May and then the 12th of the two Darlington races, of why they were only coming out with this information now. Um, the second thing that, and this goes back to the previous one, where I thought the ballast would have been a little bit heftier points penalty, and this may be that they raced with it and then found out we don't know that. And I know Mike addressed that of wh- when it was found versus, that, versus whether they raced with it or not. I, I will tell you this, and I, I don't think I've shared this on, on this show. This is a very specific to me one. Uh, my dad raced a couple of times in a four-cylinder class, did not have a window net car rolled over, basically cut his arm off. They did manage to put it back on. He has a hand there with the arm. Um, it's not like it was, obviously. but So to me, any any class of any drivers, any class is racing without a window net, um, very important. But also then if they feel that two years is the window of how long they are safe, safe and secure for whatever reason, that's the, what they've set. Um, the fact that this was 25 points, but the ballast was only 10. I I guess maybe that's why I have the feeling towards the other one. Um, Both safety issues um, seem to to be one was considered a little more so. Whether that was because it was raced that way and not found in pre-tech, I don't know if that's the difference. But um, very important for this one to me, like I said, a very personal one. A window net is a very important thing. Yeah, the whole idea here is that these were expired items uh, meaning that they were vulnerable to uh, coming apart during uh, racing conditions, and that's why NASCAR feels that penalties are in order. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> I, I guess I guess they they obviously did the right thing uh, with the penalties, and uh, I do think that. Uh, uh, the, the teams that were involved is uh, teams uh, 12 for Spencer Boyd. Uh, these are all truck series penalties, by the way. Uh, the number 20 for Nick Lights, uh, the number 47 for Dawson Cram, and the number 46 for Brennan Poole. All safety sections, meaning these are safety issues. Uh, if, that if they were uh, to be using expired pieces on their car, 
uh, that don't do the job that they're intended to do uh, because of that expiration. So uh, when it comes to safety, I'd rather err on the side of caution than to take the risk of somebody getting hurt. Uh, so NASCAR, again, I feel like they did the right thing here. Tommy? Honestly, I didn't even realize that you could have a window net that's out of date um, until I saw the the post today about this, and now we're talking about it. I mean, how do you have a net that's two years old? How are you not, you know, up to date? I mean, I, I need to, I guess, learn more about it. I mean, I mean, it makes sense they have an expired part, and that's the penalty, and they need to have the the right net in there. But I mean. I really had no clue that you could have an expired net on the car. Um, no, I mean, it, it, it would make sense. I mean, you know, you've seen the, the video of Richard Petty at Darlington without the net having to crash, and he basically, like, kind of almost goes flying out of the car. You can see his arm and stuff go, go out the window. So it's definitely important to have it. Um, I just didn't realize that it was – that you could have an expired net. So, I mean – those teams, in my opinion, have, have got to do better. I mean, that should be a easy something that's easy. And if you don't have, I mean, if they, if they don't have a net like that, then you know that's just bad. I mean, how can they not have up to date nets to put in there? So um, I learned something new today that even your net can be expired. Okay, Jay. Well, and that, whoops. Okay, I'm back off mute. Um, that's one of those, depending on the material, again, of, of what you call it dry rot or whatever, uh, I'm sure they've done that. their testing as far as that of at the two-year point or anything older than that is more liable to give way, come apart, however, um, you know, it fails to do what it's supposed to do. So, I wouldn't have known that was the time frame on it either, Tommy, um, that, that that's what they considered a, a life shelf or shelf life of a window net, but obviously a very important one. The, uh, the other thing, and I, I go back to, uh, it was last year's all-star race. We thought, they talked about this on race hub of Ryan Blaney thinking the race was over, had taken his part way down, not having it back up and secured. Uh, I don't know whether he eventually got it secured. I know there was talk about whether he held it up while he was driving or whatever. I, I personally think that was a bad cause on NASCAR's part. Uh, I would have rather have seen him stop the race, let him, the crew come out, fix it, put it back, and him get his spot back. I know some people wouldn't have thought that was fair, but I did not like the fact that they let him drive without it being firmly secure um, because normally if you watch when a, when a team gets in, it's t- really tough for a driver to get that locked and secure the way it's supposed to be from inside. And I know that from being at the track uh, with uh, some drivers I work with as well, um, that it really takes that outside person and crewman to get that firmly attached and latched. So uh, I really felt that was a bad call on NASCAR's part last year at the All-Star Race. Um, like I said, I'd have been okay with them letting him come in, fix it, and go back out. I know that wouldn't be exactly fair either, but I think it was better than the alternative of letting them race, either holding it up or it not being fully secure. Um, but I think this one, and like I said, the points uh, reflect that they obviously felt it was a more severe violation with 25 points right off the top. 
as well as a $5,000 fine to the crew chief. And that's one I think teams need to be on top of. If there is something that is outdated um, or is a rule based on that, please pay attention to it. Yeah. What we don't know is if they maybe had done this before, were told to go and fix it and put a new one on, and this might be the culmination of doing it again, and now we've got to do something about it. The fact that there are four drivers between two races uh, that this was an issue for, uh, I think NASCAR did the right thing. I don't think it would have been okay to say, uh, let's just fix it and go back out there uh, because of the fact that it is a safety issue. Uh, yeah, they caught it in pre-race, so they, they, they didn't race with it that way. But NASCAR doesn't want to have to be doing this week in and week out. Uh, so at some point, uh, they have to kind of – do something that's going to put an end to it. So I kind of get the feeling that maybe they did give them a chance uh, prior to this, uh, but it wasn't producing the kind of result that they needed for them to stop doing it. And so uh, that's why they had to do this. So I agree with the penalties, and uh, I think NASCAR did the right thing here. Tommy, you get the final word. Yeah, I don't have too much to add here um, other than now I understand since Jay brought it back or Jay said that, you know, due to dry rot. So that would make sense. But, I mean, I also think uh, I don't I highly doubt that they leave the net out in the, you know, in the sun for it to, you know, dry rot back quickly. But, I mean, it makes sense if they're not using it and it's just sitting around in the shop. It could definitely, um, you know, not be up to standard after two years. But, um Either way, I feel like it was an easy penalty that could have been avoided, but um, maybe these teams are, you know, lacking the equipment, which is is sad. But, um, you know, either way, learn something new today, that even the net matters. Mm -hmm. So. Me too. That was a new thing for me too as well, Tommy. Okay, we're at the end of the night here, so let's go ahead and do our roundtable next. Andy, we'll start with you. Yeah, CB14 fan on Twitter, and uh, as always, good to be on the show tonight and um, really excited for this weekend. I think we'll probably have a lot to talk about Monday, so certainly looking forward to hopefully a nice all-star weekend. Okay. You go on, Jay. I'll just go ahead and do a programming note here. Uh, I am in Texas this week for my grandson's birthday, which is going to be on Monday. So um, my initial thought was maybe we could do a podcast during the day, but the more I thought about it, uh, the more it became clear to me that I probably just need to cancel the show so that I can be available to help celebrate my grandson's birthday. It's his uh, eighth birthday this week, so on Monday, by the way. So happy birthday to Lucas. All right. Um, you can follow me on social media. It'll be uh Michael Hoosman on Facebook, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram, and 
hopefully I can find a racetrack to go to this weekend, barring that darn R word uh, kind of been in the area and putting a hampering on things around here. But if not, uh, you mentioned the, the all-star weekend here. We'll have a lot to talk to you on Monday. And I hope Mike is able to join us with the first-hand recap. Again, we won't have a show on Monday. Well, yeah, that's true. It won't be on Monday. You're right. I just You just said that, actually. Okay. Uh, Tommy? At Cincinnati, a fan on Twitter. Thanks for having me back. I always enjoy coming on. And glad to set North Wilkesboro and not Texas. Okay, uh, and I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio, everywhere else, including the website where we have our radio player available. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad it's at North Wilkesboro, too, Tommy. I think it's great to have the All-Star Race there this year. And, um, again, my apologies for canceling the show on Monday, but uh, uh, I just uh, – really want to spend that time with my with my family and um we will be back on the air on thursday night and we'll be able to do the show then so um a big shout out uh, to billy venturini for being our guest today we had a great conversation with him uh, during the second half hour of the show if you haven't heard it uh, i'd encourage you to go back and take a listen uh and um also, um, uh, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. Again, uh, I hope the word gets out that we won't be here Monday night. But we will be returning on Thursday, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to everybody then when we preview the racing uh, that will be taking place out at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a night unless you guys have something else. Good night, everybody. Enjoy your race weekend.